This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by my co-host, John Syracuse. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, July 13th, Friday the 13th, 2012. We have three lovely sponsors. We would like to say thank you to FreshBooks.com, Squarespace.com, and Hover.com. We'll tell you more about them as the show continues, the way we always do. We also want to say thanks very much to Infinite Kind, makers of SyncSpace for iPad and Android, enabling multiple people to sketch ideas together wherever they are in an infinite zoomable drawing space. They're handling the bandwidth again for this episode. We thank them. Learn more at InfiniteKind.com. Com. Hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? Ready to go. Let's do it. Okay. Someone was asking in the chat room if you had the intros memorized. Not the not the sponsor parts, but the you know the little ramble thing in the beginning that describes the show. Um, more or less. Like, do you, but you have the text in front of you when you're saying it. Sometimes. Sometimes. I think you could do it now without anything. Well, I mean, we've been doing, this is the 76th episode, so I've done it 76 times. Uh, how many times they say you need to do something to me? Isn't it 88 times? Or is that, am I confusing that with Back to the Future? You might be confusing it. 88 miles an hour. All right. All right. A little bit of follow-up. And then I think we have three topics that are related and we can like drop one if we're tight on time. First bit of feedback is from an anonymous person. I believe this person had a really, really cool name. So I was this before or after I fixed the contact form. The the person put explicitly (laughs) in their message. uh, You can read my thing on the air, but just don't mention my name, which is a shame because this person's name was super cool. So if you have a super cool name, this may be you. Actually, I guess you would know if, you, if I'm reading your thing because you wrote it. Should we have a code name for the person? To like call them Felix or something just so that it's easy to refer to them? I, I'm just calling them anonymous. Okay. There you go. All right. This person is asking about the iPod Junior, which is your name for you. Apple's rumored smaller than the current iPad. iPad? I said iPod, didn't I? Boy, I'm... Did you catch the one a couple? Well, I can't even hear the first item without going out of tension. Did you catch the one a couple of shows ago when I said I made reference to Walter Isaacson's Stephen King bio? I, I missed that one. I missed it too. And people were saying stuff in the chat room like <laughs> Stephen King bio. I'm like, haha, very funny. But I said Stephen King on that. Oh, jeez. I mi- no, I missed that. I've heard. I have heard you refer to an iPad as an iPod before. But yeah, that's an easy one. That's I, that. Who, who cares? Right. I'm, Anyway, uh, Steve Jobs bio by Walter Isaacson, iPad Jr. All right, back to the feedback. He's asking about how it will be priced. And we touched on it a little bit last time, but not really. He's saying, like, the current iPod Touch is $199. Uh, So, and we were talking about the iPad, the the smaller iPad coming out at a price that would be competitive with the Kindle Fire and the Nexus 7, which is around $200. So, how does that work? Do you have two devices for $200, one of them called the iPod Touch and the second one called the iPad whatever? Uh, or do you have to bump it up? Do you, do you make the, iP- the smaller iPad start at, at $249 instead of $199? Um, I, don't, I don't really know, but I expect Apple to space out 
the iPad line in $50 increments of the starting price or something similar. Like, there's not one price for these products, right? So because if you buy an iPad or, or an iPod Touch or anything, you have options. Whenever Apple advertises, it's always like starting from whatever. Like, that's the cheapest one you can possibly get. Uh, you know, it starts at $399 or something. How many people actually buy the $399 model? Probably very few, which is part of the pricing strategy where they, they get you in the door with a low-looking price. But when it comes time to pick one, you're like, eh, I want the one with a little more storage. And I want the one with 3G. And then pretty soon, you know, forget about that $399 or whatever it is for the, iPad, right? So I expect the iPad line, assuming there is an iPad, I mean, there is now we have the iPad 3 and the iPad 2, right? I expect it to be spaced out uh, eventually the entire iOS line in, in roughly $50 increments. So if the iPod Touch stays at $199, I would expect the smallest iPad to be $249. Like that's, that's their entry price for the cheap one that no one's going to buy. And then moving up from there. And there, I expect there to be price overlap. Because like if you if you get a fully decked out iPod Touch, it will probably be more expensive than the lowest end smaller iPad. And maybe you can get a fully decked out smaller iPad that's less that's more expensive than the smallest full sized iPad. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, that said, I was trying to think about could Apple get away with like is it possible to sell? to have a $200 iPod Touch and a $200 iPad, both of them being the bottom of the line. Like, how does that work? Because clearly, I mean, clearly one has a bigger screen, just in terms of the parts thing. Like, does yeah. Apple just eat that margin? Because the, the bigger screen costs more than the smaller screen. Uh, can you get away with it by making the lowest end small iPad have a non-retina screen? Uh, there's all sorts of things they can do there. I would expect them to space it out, and I think they can get away with spacing out. They can get away with selling a $250 product Competing with two hundred dollar products because they're the leader. And what do you get for that extra fifty bucks? You get you get a real live iPad, not one of those other things, right? At this point, that iPad has not just cachet, but actual reasons for being a more desirable product. You get access to the iOS app store, which is the best app store. You get you're part of the Apple ecosystem, which is all nice and shiny, and you love stuff. And maybe you already have a Mac. You know, that I think they can demand a price premium, but I think they they can also afford to sell it at 200 even if that encroaches on the iPod Touch territory. And I'm reminded of the time when they, you know, they sold the, the iPad mini, iPad, iPod mini for only $50 more than the full-sized iPod. Uh, but you got way less storage, and that seemed crazy. Uh, the same thing with the, if you made the price the same. Like, if the price is the same, why would anyone ever buy the iPod Touch? Well, maybe you want something that fits in your pocket and you don't have tactical pants. And, you know, you're paying for something that's smaller. Like, why would anybody pay for the smaller thing? That's crazy. Sometimes you want the, you just want the smaller thing. I, I want something to put on my arm when I jog. Well, you're not going to put a 7-inch iPad or an 8-inch iPad on your arm when you jog. Although I did see a link recently to uh, the Carry and Conceal iPad uh, holster, which allows you to put two full-sized iPads holstered <laughs> like a gun under your armpit, <laughs> under your jacket, so you can hide them. <laughs> I think it was a joke, but... I can't I'm be not right. really sure. And again, we—I mean, we've seen we've seen teardowns and things like iSupply. I think does them where they'll come out and they'll they'll say what it actually costs Apple. Like I read something new that that said I guess iSupply did a teardown of the Nexus Seven and and they're selling that for one ninety nine, but it costs like uh, one hundred and fifty bucks or something to in parts. So you always wonder what the real profit is on this and, and well and, you know the eye supply doesn't know the well I mean, they don't know exactly. I, I supply doesn't know the price of those parts they have to make a best guess so they have no idea what kind of volume deals apple is getting and you know 
the, the, the financial structuring of how much it actually costs to make something is probably so complicated that even if you were given complete access to Apple's books, finding the real answer would require like seven accountants, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's not like, we'll agree on a price and I'll pay you that much each. Like, it's like, we'll help finance the mortgage on the factory that you're creating. But you know, like, it's just, yeah. Leave that for Horace's show. Uh, and the follow-up to this anonymous person's or second question uh, is now that there are more prepaid plans for the iPhone, will I be signing up for one? Uh, things about the iPhone prepaid plans. The first thing is that the prepaid plans seem to be on crappier networks, as far as I'm aware. Like, there's no Verizon prepaid option, is there? Not that I'm aware of. It's like the people who couldn't get the, you know, the the, the better deals. The, the, the other networks that, that have some reason to try to give you a better deal to come to our crappy network. We'll do prepaid Verizon. Um, they're still more expensive than my $100 per year crap phone plan that I have. Uh, and I'm sure the prices, I'm sure the prices will keep going down on, you know, on like the good plans that I like from Verizon. And eventually the iPhone plans and I will meet in the middle. We're just not quite there yet. So no, I'm not getting a prepaid iPhone. Next bit of follow-up is from Nick NIC, whose last name I searched for I was going to say briefly, but I spent a good couple minutes looking for his last name. I gave up when I found a description on his website that says, hello, I'm Nick. And this is where I ramble on about things I find interesting. Well, if he's not, he's introducing himself and he's not going to give his last name. That seems like a clear signal that he doesn't want his last name read. So there you have it. Yeah, I, his, I linked to, to this on bigweek.co as well. And I did the same exact thing. I said, well, even on his own website, under the about this site, he just says Nick. Now, why is that? I mean, it, this could be a segue, but... Why do you think he, he's writing something that's insightful? I don't know. Maybe well, he wants to be like Madonna and you just, you just have the one just name. Just the one name. Some people just feel sensitive about their privacy and don't feel like having you know, a Google search for their first name, last name, show up all this stuff. You that's know? valid. And you know, he, it, reading this, I actually think that maybe Madonna wrote this. Not so sure about that. Okay. All right. And his website is 2000, the number, 2000nickels.com. An option for change. Yeah, okay. And well that's what it's that's what it's called. And then he has uh analyzed the length of all hypercritical episodes <laughs> trying to see if uh my prediction at the beginning of a show that I think this is gonna be a short show, like what effect does that have? Because the the joke is like every time I say it's gonna be a short show, up they end up being a really long show. So let's just look <laughs> at the actual data and see what it's like. Uh there is lots of graphs and description and everything, but here's the uh the money paragraph. Uh, it says, while two out of the three longest episodes were in the short group, that, what that basically means is two out of the three longest episodes ever were shows where I said this is going to be a short show. The median episode length is seven minutes less when he calls a short show. So when I say it's going to be a short show, the median length is seven minutes less than when I don't. Also, four of the five shortest episodes belong to the short group, and the average short show is 103 minutes versus 109 minutes for non-short shows. So there you have it. When in other words, when you show, say you want to do a short show, it is actually yeah, shorter. Uh, on average and in the median <laughs> and more, more four out of the five of the shortest shows are in the short group i do actually make by how many by how many minutes not many but you know just barely so in other words there is no jinx yes there is no jinx there it seems like it's just a human perception thing it's because two of the three longest episodes were on episodes that i called the short show that's what people remember they don't remember the other ones that were actually short so thank you nick for doing this important uh, and uh, exhaustive research. And if we knew who you were, we'd send you a t-shirt. But we don't. So we can't. 
yeah, so everyone check out that site and check out the graphs. It, one, the saddest graph for me, though, is that he has the dividing line when I announced my goal to have shorter episodes. And <laughs> all it like, I guess it kind of leveled off. I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's, it's sure as hell not like, if you plot a trend line, it's uphill. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What I would like to have seen would have, and I don't, I don't know if this does this, but I'd like to see a graph showing because this mainly focuses on like percentiles and show lengths i'd like to see a a graph over time of the episodes to see if they've grown in length over time just in general regardless of whether you said they would be a short show like was our first the first series of episodes were they longer or shorter than the ones that you're doing now that's what i was saying this where are you are you in the chat room no i'll send my camera here this this thing shows that i think that's you think it shows it enough? Yeah, because that's just that's just the length. Oh, the scat. Well, yeah. Like it's got that's but the it length doesn't... of every single show uh, plotted on and time episode numbers on the the x axis. And the red ones are the short. But I was hoping for something that wasn't just. I mean, this is this is good, but I'd like to see like a uh, a line chart. Well, you just got to draw a line through the scatter. <laughs> okay. Hold right. on, let anyway, me get my grease he'll, pencil. He'll, uh, you know, you have all this data. You can make a data dump. All right, I'll do that. Yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe I should build an API into the CMS that lets people use JSON requests to the CMS to make it easier for them to plot. Don't make work for yourself. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Next, next bit of follow-up is from Mark Norman. He asked, do I ever think Apple will allow responses to App Store reviews? I think it was the last episode where we discussed, or maybe the episode before that, I don't remember, where we talked about uh, how the uh, Google App Store is allowing developers to respond to user reviews of their software and how Apple doesn't and various opinions on whether that's good or bad and uh, stuff like that. And Mark says, as you've discussed in previous episodes, Apple wants to ma- maintain absolute control over their customer's experience. And so if they let uh, developers respond to reviews, they're releasing control over part of the App Store experience. Uh, and he also says it could, it could be opening the door to a negative interaction facilitate, facilitated, albeit indirectly, by Apple. So, you know, this is, this is saying the reason Apple doesn't allow feedback is because it puts some part of the App Store experience outside their control. And, you know, because I guess because developer, I mean, that part of the App Store experience is kind of already out of their control because anybody can leave a review who has purchased the software. And they can write whatever they want and then other people can moderate it or whatever. But just adding one more participant into that mix, I guess maybe it would change the dynamic because people can't argue with each other in the comments. But once someone can reply, even if it's just a developer, then it becomes argumentative. Uh, so my take on this is that open forums like this, I mean, again, it's the, you know how is it more open or less? I think it's more open because you're allowing responses. So now it suddenly becomes a forum instead of just like a dumping ground. Open forums require moderation. Uh, and Apple hasn't really sco- shown any skill or willingness to host and moderate any kind of public forum. I, I think back to Apple's mailing list, like at the dawning of Mac OS X, they had a bunch of Apple mailing lists that became semi-popular that were talking about Mac OS X. And I think, I think Apple still has a mailing list system, but back then the mailing lists were very active. It's just like, oh, we want to know what the heck is going on with this Mac OS X, and it's big and scary, and I'm a Mac user, and let me participate in these lists. And even though the lists were just supposed to be a bunch of people talking to each other and not a place for to give feedback to apple sometimes apple employees could participate like on their own free time or if they wanted to if they were careful about not saying anything they weren't supposed to say so it was at least some possibility of contact with apple employees but also just customers talking to each other and commiserating and arguing about 
whether the dock is good or bad and how much of the Mac and how much of Next should be mixed in and stuff like that. Uh, and it seemed to me that the very few full-time staff that Apple employed to like run the Apple mailing list were kind of overwhelmed with just trying to keep even these very low volume, like relative to the rest of the internet low volume, mailing lists civil, on topic, and useful. And over time, many of the lists were closed down because they were filled with people who were not civil, they were not on topic, and <laughs> didn't weren't useful. And it's like basically Ap- Apple's corporate heart was just not in hosting any sort of forum for like, we'll run the software, you come and participate, and we'll make sure it's a constructive place to be. Like, and it's not the fault of the people who are running it. It's just that it, it doesn't see, didn't seem to be a priority. It's not like they were staffing it up like they step off. You know, the app store reviewing, that's a priority. And I'm sure they hired tons of people and staffed up and have training and just did all this stuff. For the mailing list, it's like, all right, you two or three guys, you want to run a mailing list thing? Fine, but it better not piss us off. Uh, and if there's something is problematic, you should just shut it down and you're not going to get any more staff and you're not going to get any more budget. And again, I have no idea what's actually going on inside. This is just what it looks like from the outside to me. Uh, and it also makes me wonder, like, what would ping have been like if it had succeeded? Like, would it right, like? And by succeeded, I mean tons of people are on ping all day, just doing stuff and you know using it the way Apple wanted. Would would ping be a cesspool of comment spam? By this point, if it had succeeded, would it have like YouTube caliber comments throughout the thing? Because, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be so far in Apple's DNA to host and run a public forum, like a place. That, you know, even something like Stack Overflow or something like that, where people communicate with each other in a group and Apple is just the host. Apple always wants to be like, you can provide your feedback and we will display it in this format, but no conversations and nothing off topic. And just like they're not they're not hosting an open forum for discussion. That's just not what Apple is into. And ping because it's like a you know, social networking, same type of thing. It's supposed to have people interacting with each other, but that degenerates very quickly if you're not careful and if you don't have the willingness and ability to staff up for managing this community. Like, mm. So. You know, that that's like the, the meta meta reason I, that it seems to me that this is not something that Apple, not just that they would do, but even that they tried to do it, they wouldn't be great at it because so far they've never committed to being it's it's, just, it's such a tremendous effort to like be a good host to a community. Like it's much more work than anyone thinks it will be. Entire sites are built around it. You know, Facebook is entirely built around it and, yeah. you know, LinkedIn and, and just it, it's. It's really difficult. And Stack Overflow, the best example, like the whole the whole thing, the whole point is the community, right? It's not it's not the software that runs the site; it's the community. I mean, that, uh, it I just seemed ping up. seemed so outside of something that Apple would try it, and it seemed like such a weak attempt. You know what I'm saying? Like it's you feel I feel that if and when Apple ever decides to really go as as you would say whole hog into this, that. It will, it will, they will try to create the best experience possible. But ping seems like such a weak sort of half, halfway attempt to even try it. So, of course, it, it sucked and went away and no one used it. Yeah. But, it didn't like, make I, any sense. And, and I'm saying, even if it had succeeded, it, that might have been even worse. Yeah. So, because it's like they're just not set up to do that. And again, it doesn't mean you can't. This is something that people were saying about my uh, previous episode where I said, wouldn't it be great if. We had like Apple hardware and software and Google online services and Amazon products and stuff like that. I said this on the show, but I'm going to reiterate it again. The idea is not that, oh, companies can only do one good thing and can't get good at new things. Apple was not good at making tiny little uh, sub-thousand dollar consumer electronic products before the dawning of the iPod. They got good at it. Like Apple wasn't arguably very good at manufacturing when they were making Macs and everything, but they got good at it. You know, they hired Tim Cook. Like companies can acquire new expertise. What's frustrating for me and what I was getting at is that 
companies feel like they have to be, ex- you know, have to do everything, can't possibly be experts in all areas. And what's frustrating is when they try to enter some other area and they're not good at it, right? So I don't care if you want to enter another area of business, be good at it though, right? So if Apple wants to run a social online service, like, oh, Apple could never do that. It's not their strength. It can become their strength, but if they're going to do it anyway and suck at it, that's bad. Uh, so the lesson is not, you know, as someone said in a Twitter comment, stick to your knitting. Don't stick to your knitting. Go, you know, be, become awesome as a company. You know, a company is not a person. You can hire more people. You just, it's just a matter of prioritization. Uh, whatever you decide to do, be good at it. That's what it is. Not that just stick to what you're good at and don't try to get better at anything else. That is not the lesson that I was trying to impart last time. Okay. All right. Final, final piece of follow-up. This is from Mark Bond. He says, I recently purchased a new iPhone dock USB cable, and you may be pleased to know that it has been modified to make insertion into the phone smoother. It appears that they added plastic runners to the, so- to the thin sides of the rectangle, looking into the end of the dock connector on the cable. I looked at my dock connectors around here to see if this, these plastic things are not new and they just have been there for a while. I didn't see these little plastic runners that he's talking about. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that they're, they're, they continue to evolve that connector, as we've talked about previously. They've, they've changed it in many ways, subtle and not so subtle, from the beginning, they're constantly trying to improve it and make it better. It's just kind of weird that if the rumors of the new dock connector are true, this could be like the last gasp of the other dock connector, which I'm sure will be with us forever in the form of all the peripherals and adapters. And, you know, like there's so much stuff out there and so many people are still going to need to, you know, go in and buy new cables and their cables will break. You know, so it's good that they're continuing to evolve it. But it would be weird if they're if like finally these plastic runners make it such a great experience that it feels great. Oh, and here's the new connector. But that's all just a bunch of rumors anyway. So, uh, so is, this may be a silly question, but I would like to ask the, um, the John Syracuse who's wearing the engineering hat. Do you, ever <laughs> suppo- <laughs> do you ever suppose that we will have a connector that they, they just at some point say, this is just the one we're going to go with and it sticks around for more than a few years? Or I'm saying assuming that we'll have a connector at all because at some point there maybe won't need to be one inductive whatever but do you think that Apple will eventually just settle on something and it will last a long time? I mean, think about how long we've been with the current dock connector. Do you think we'll ever, they'll get somewhere where they'll say this is it and they'll just set it and leave it? I think the current dock connector's lifetime of 11 years, is it now? That is the maximum, the maximum lifetime I think you, you can expect from any connector from Apple. Uh, because they don't... They, they, they don't, they're never going to say, this is the connector, this is it, it's good enough. They're always trying to get something better. And the only thing stopping them from getting something better is like inertia and how difficult it is to change. So they wait a while and they say, okay, well, it's been a decade or a little bit more than a decade. We're cutting off. We had a decade, good run to the dock connector, time for the new connector. And I think, as I've said, I think they waited too long on that. In fact, I think they made a mistake making the dock connector the way they did in the beginning. But you can't argue with the results, right? So it's like, yes, that might have been a mistake, but it didn't hurt us. And so, you know. Anyway, I, I don't think they will ever settle on that. I think you expect the next connector to last 10 years or, or less and repeat until we're all dead. <laughs> and on that note, it's time for a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, well, wonderful. Uh, well, our first sponsor today is Hover.com. And uh, they are really cool, simplified domain management. That's it. That's how you think of them. You want to register domain, go to Hover.com. There's a search box. You type in the domain. You type in a few words that that you might be interested in a domain with. Their robot will figure this out. If the domain you want is available, it'll tell you, and you can register right there. So you want a .com, .net. I mean, all the all the good ones are taken, right? Well, not necessarily. You can type in a few keywords, and it will come up with words that fall into the category of stuff that you're looking for, and it's pretty smart about it. 
But what I like about Hover isn't this little convenient searching. I really just like Hover because it's simple and because they don't bug you with stuff. When you go there to register a domain name, that's, that's all they're trying to get you to do. And they're making it super easy to do it. So when you register a domain, what do you get? You get unlimited domain forwarding. So half the time you're registering a domain, you're not sure what you're going to do with it yet. They make it easy to just point it at one of your existing domains. They have no charge who is privacy. And it's automatically there. Oh, if you don't want it, you just uncheck the box. But there aren't 100 billion boxes to check. There's just one. And they have powerful domain editing. So if you want to update a bunch of records and you want to do it all at once, it's super easy to do that because they have their own DNS management and everything built in. I mean, the whole point of this is to make it simple. This is the only registrar that I'm even using anymore. And they make it easy to transfer your domains away from the registrar that maybe is bugging you a little bit too much. And they have instructions on how to do that. And they have real people. If you want to call them, they have a toll-free number right on the main page. It's on every page of their website because they actually want you to call. And a human being will answer and help you, especially with the transfers, because that can be tricky even for us geeks. They also do email hosting, by the way, which is a really nice service if you want to move away from something that, uh, you know, Google Apps, for example. They're really great services, and uh, I would like to give you 10% off personally. And I'm doing that with the code Dan sent me. One word, Dan sent me. And you can go to hover.com slash Dan sent me, and it will be automatically applied or... You can just put that in when the little promo code box when you're checking out. And you can use it again and again and again and again. So go check them out. Hover.com slash Dan sent me. Thanks very much to those guys for making the show possible. Someone in the chat room was talking about Apple support forums. Have you ever gone to those? Like support.apple.com and the link to the forums and yes, stuff? Yes, of course. They're, I guess Apple keeps them mostly free of spam and crap, but they are still relatively low volume Uh and Apple still takes a very hands-off approach with them. I, I think they're 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 certainly better than the mailing lists were. Apple put much more into those support forums than they do. But it's not Apple supporting you in those forums. It's customers supporting each other. And that's kind of like the hands-off approach Apple takes. All right, you guys can talk here, but like behave yourselves. And we're not really here to help you. You can help each other, and maybe some Apple people will show up occasionally, but not really in an official capacity. And blah blah, you know. And the community, I, I frequently go to them because they come up in Google searches. Like if you search for, you know, some problem you're having with the computer, chances are good that you will get a hit from the Apple support forums. And there you will find some sad user who doesn't know where like the cool Apple people on the web hang out and just goes to support.apple.com and finds a link to forum and asks their questions. And then you will find a bunch of people giving guesses for answers, most of which don't work or are wrong. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll find how the person solved their problem. But Many of those threads end with maybe you should go to the Genius Bar or I think it might be hardware or whatever. Uh, so I would not call that a great example of a community that Apple is fostering in the same way that the Stack Overflow team you know, fosters a community there or whatever. All right, so my three topics today are all Kickstarter projects. And people have been asking me to do a show about Kickstarter itself. I didn't think that was something that warranted uh, a show or really that is anywhere near my few areas of expertise. Uh, but th- these three products are uh, do have some overlap with my interests, so I will discuss them. There, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to say what they are, but people can probably guess because these have been sent in by many, many different people. Uh, the first one is OUYA, which is spelled all caps, O-U-Y-A. I'm not sure if it stands for anything. I don't think it does. Uh, 
and this Ouya is this is, is the uh, oh this is the Android video game yes. console. A new kind of video game console is the tagline. Uh, they have Kickstarter campaign for this. Apparently, they have adopted the Wii naming strategy. Just <laughs> name your game console some non-word that does not look good, does not sound good, and could possibly have uh, lewd or undesirable associations. <laughs> Although I, I would say arguably that the Dreamcast was the first to break the dumb sounding name barrier in the console market. Because I remember when I heard the name of that, Sega's new console is going to be called, what, Dreamcast? Is that a mistranslation? <laughs> no, that's what they're calling it. So that was no we, but like they broke the ice and said, you know what? We can name our thing something that does not sound cool. <laughs> and it's going to be Dreamcast and no one will care. And they didn't care and it failed for other reasons, uh, which was a shame. Although that Dreamcast controller is just execrable. All right. <laughs> uh, so this the, the Ouya is a new game console for your television and as they say powered by Android. It's a you know a dinky little box or whatever. Uh the Kickstarter for people who don't know Kickstarter is a website where you propose a project that you would like to complete and you make a little video or a description of your project and you say this is how much money I need and if all you guys give me that money I will do this thing. Sometimes as part of the money that you give you get like a prize for different levels of funding, you know, give $10 and get a free t-shirt, give $100 and, you know, uh, get a certificate of appreciation, pay 10000 and we'll fly you out to a headquarters and give you a tour or whatever. But you're not, uh, you're not paying for, you're not purchasing the product. Usually, I think, uh, do any of them give you the, I think some of them might give you the product, but the, the whole idea is that you're not buying something. You could be giving money and getting nothing in return. I don't think anyone would do that because it would be a probably unsuccessful Kickstarter project. But the idea is you're just saying, I would like this thing to exist. So here's some money. Well, uh, it, I think it depends. It depends on how they they want to do it. So in some cases, you yes, get you're, like the you're, I, yeah. The I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Know. In some cases, you're saying, "Hey, uh, here's you know, here's a buck. I think you should make this." In other cases, absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna get something. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's when it's like a product. Yes, uh, that that is within a reasonable cost. So if you donate ninety bucks, you get one of these cool new iPod stands that's easy to take your iPod in and out of, right? Uh, but even in those cases. Like they, you have, you're paying for them to make the thing, like yeah. to do the entire process. So the price you're paying is not even necessarily the price that those things would be once they're made, like for someone else to buy retail. Right. Uh, so it's it's basically just a way to get people's attention that you might want to do something cool, and if you would like that cool thing to exist, and also perhaps might want to buy it, but sometimes you don't want to buy it. Sometimes you just want to, you know, pay pay for it so that this thing comes into an existence because you think it would be cool to have. Right. And this is a little bit of both. I believe you do not get a free Ouya console with your funding because you can fund way less than i'm sure this console well you have to get you have to get to the 99 dollar or more is that is that the is that the uh, the prize level for the yeah anything less than that is like you're reserving your name or what i actually think i'm looking at this now and i I was wrong it's 95 dollars is what you need in order to get an ui controller yeah yeah Uh, and anything there and above that you donate you do get one that then you can get Two controllers, you can get your name etched into the controllers, and it it goes up. But if you just like, yep. if you just want to reserve your username and make the project happen, you can do that for ten bucks. Yeah, or you, you just get five bucks or one dollar or whatever you yeah. want to give. You yeah. get and you get nothing for that except for the the you know satisfaction of knowing that you helped this thing come into being. And maybe when it comes out, you buy one. It's like, oh well, if I didn't pledge that five bucks, I could have bought one for five bucks cheaper. But like that's not what this is about. Right? It's, Kickstarter is exciting because people give money to make something they want to exist. Uh, so this, so I'm going to talk about the specific product, not the the phenomenal Kickstarter in general. Though we'll we'll loop around back to that with the last one. 
And uh, by the way, they, their goal was $950,000. Yes. And I think it was funded in the first day. And now with 26 days left to go, they've got $4,453,151 already pledged by about 35,000 people. Yes, this is another phenomenon in Kickstarter where they will give like, you know, here's our goal. If we reach this goal, we'll do the stuff we said we were going to do, right? And then they blow past that goal and it's like, you know, this is you know already four times the goal. Uh, so the, the, part of the question is, sorry, what do you do with all that extra money and can we just keep funding forever? What if we, what if we fund you to the level of $10 billion? Do you all just make a bunch of consoles then go live on private islands with the rest of the money? Because you didn't agree what you were going to do with the, you know, anyway. Uh, so this console itself, uh, the, the idea is basically to make an Android-powered game console that connects to your TV, which is a combination of two things that uh, you know have existed separately. We've got game co- consoles that connect to your TV, and we've got Android devices on which you can play games, and it wouldn't be great if we combined them together. Uh, the, but part of their pitch is that it's an open console, that anyone can develop games for this thing. And you know, and this is something that has not traditionally been easy to develop games for the uh, for the television. Is their quote from their little thing? Developers can wave farewell to the roadblocks roadblocks of bringing a console game to market. Anyone can make a game. Every Ouya console is a dev kit. No need to purchase a license or expensive SDK. So it's like you you know, it's completely open platform. You buy it, you can make games for it. Uh, it's true that the traditional realm of console development is very restrictive like say you that you wake up one morning and say i'd like to make a game for the nintendo wii you've got a long road ahead of you filled with a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and probably will end unsuccessfully because it's not like you can just you know i'd like to make an ios app fine follow apple's guidelines register as developer pay 99 bucks upload it pass the things you're now an ios developer way harder to do that for with uh with nintendo uh and so this this traditional television console model of uh, for game development is part of the reason ios has done so well in gaming and this is despite all the restrictions in the app store that you know application software developers hate and complain about for game developers this was a substantially less restrictive environment than what they're used to the app store for all these restrictions that that you know oh i used to be able to sell my software directly to customers now the app store makes me follow these guidelines game developers are like are you kidding this is so much easier than putting a game out for a sega console or a sony console or a nintendo console uh, so it's interesting that two groups of, of software developers have entirely different views of the App Store. Uh, but uh, one of Ouya's problems is that iOS, iOS already did this, right? iOS did the thing where it's like, hey, game development used to be really restrictive. What if we made a popular platform that a lot of people had that could also you know, run games and that anyone can develop on? And it was a big bang. It's like, wow, this is great. And it's made iOS the powerhouse it is. What was the stats? Like something like 40-something percent of the... Uh, the sales on uh, the App Store are games. There was some some huge percentage of either the revenue or the sales numbers was from games. Game, you know, a- Apple is a game juggernaut uh, in disguise. Yeah, it was. It's forty percent of App Store. Yeah, uh, and so Ouya can't really expect a big bang like iOS had. Or maybe that's free. You know what? That that's that's freemium. I think you're thinking of. Yeah, it was some. I I don't remember the exact stats, but it. it it, you can Google them yourself. I'm confident you will find many large numbers. It's, games are not like 10% of the store right. in any measure. They're, they're a big part of it. Uh, so, so Ouya can't be like, oh, we're, we're going to re- revolutionize that. Like, no, someone already did that. And now it's basically like just the way things are done. Anybody who's trying to come up with a new gaming platform, like we're in a post-iOS app store world where anyone who wants to make a new gaming platform, like this is the, this is the price of entry. You got to be like more open than the old guys were. Now, the old school consoles are also... Uh, trying to open up as well. But it, oh yeah, I can't expect anything big from that. 
Uh, let's see. They say, best of all, Ouya's world-class controller console and interface, interface come in one beautiful and inexpensive package. All right. Uh, world-class controller? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. If it's a world-class controller. They show lots of pictures of it. The pictures they show show the D-pad and the primary control location. And, well, actually, you can't really tell because they, they just show a bunch of prototypes with squiggles. Uh, so I don't want to pass judgment on something that hasn't yet been created, but we'll see. Uh, an inexpensive package? Well, yeah, if you use hardware... If you, if you use hardware that's going to run Android, presumably your parts bin is the parts that people use to build Android phones and Android tablets, all of which are pretty inexpensive. Uh, so you're not shopping around like, we're going to make an Intel-based, like a little PC that you connect to your TV, because that would be way more expensive than something like Android. Uh, this is another quote from the, uh, the, the Kickstarter page. All the games on it will be free, comma, at least to try. Which, like... <laughs> All the games on it will be free and people stop reading. And but then there's a little comma and it says at least to try. What does that mean? All games will be free at least to try. What it means is like free to try. Do you mean demos? All games will have demos. It's a much less compelling pitch than all games will be free at least to try. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I think all they're just saying is <laughs> you, if you want to sell a game on the Ouya console, you have to provide a free demo. But I thought this was like an open world and we could do whatever we want. What if I don't want to have a free demo? What if I don't, you know, it's, it's kind of a mixed message there. Uh, how, and let me ask you this. How much do you think game developers, after what we've seen with the App Store, how much do you think they're going to say, I will only develop for a platform that I know is going to have a really, really great ecosystem? And, and, and what qualifies these guys who could potentially make a really cool console, let's just give them that and say they will. What qualifies them to set up, manage, and, and run the kind of app store that would need to exist for the game developers to be willing to invest this kind of time? Yeah, that's part of the uncertainty of uh, Kickstarter. Yeah. Like, if you, if you were already good at this or already doing it, you'd already be doing it. you saying, I need a little help, and we have a dream, and we want to make it happen. And there's inherent risk in all Kickstarter things. Well, we'll talk more about their chances as I get to it. I have an article that's critical of this linked uh, okay. as well. All right. Uh, here's, here's another part of their pitch. Uh, deep down, you know your best gaming memories happened in the living room. This is part of their sales pitch for the people reading about the Kickstarter. They're saying, you, you know, 25 to 35-year-olds who grew up with television console games have memories of playing video games in front of the television. We would like to tap that nostalgia and, and make you... Uh, it's kind of like a reaction against like, you know, these kids today's with their touch games. <laughs> well, we know that you like the games where you sat in front of the TV and you had a little controller. Well, we're going to make that because, you know, and it's a good plan because some people, you know, don't uh, prefer that, not just for nostalgia reasons, but it's because it's different. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting mix here. They've got a forward looking game development environment on the one hand, like, oh, anybody can do it and we're going to have an open store and it's all digital and everything's free to try. Like that's very different than the experience of our youth. So it's very forward looking in their it, the platform they're building but on the other hand it's backward looking uh, appeal to nostalgia in their advertisement and, and in the whole product like that's kind of a throwback to like a console that you connect to your tv those things are done aren't they like isn't everything in the future like a mobile touch blah 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 uh so that that's an interesting mix and then they have a bit about hackers welcome they say uh have at it it's easy to root and rooting won't void your warranty now they're gonna have this is a, a pitch in their kickstarter that says it's easy to root Nobody knows what that means except for nerds, right? right. And, root, and rooting won't void your warranty. Like, people know what voiding your warranty is, but, like, what is rooting and why might it void? But, like, 
but you know they're not they they know who they're talking to here anyone who cares about that anyone who's going to fund this kickstarter knows what all those words mean and thinks it's good uh, and it's sure as hell working for them hey four million bucks right uh so th- they're where they're coming from it's is very clear they're not trying to make like you know, grandma's going to buy you a Wii at Target because she heard about it in, on uh, on Good Morning America. That's not the yeah. That's not what they're making here, right? Uh, and I think that's one of the strengths of Kickstarter is that, uh, like, the people who want this type of thing, you're like, oh, they're just a small minority. No one cares about this stuff. It's true that they're way smaller than, like, the number of grandmas that are going to buy Wii's at Target. But, like I say, yeah, I know they're small, but maybe, like, if we could get them all together, maybe there's enough of them to make this cool thing happen. And that's the, the beauty of Kickstarter that, you know, everyone has coalesced around this one name and one sided one brand for, this is the place where marginalized groups go to see, I know we're marginalized, but do we have enough of us to get something done? Like, for example, if Firefly were canceled in a post Kickstarter world, at that point, the time might've been right for the Firefly Kickstarter, which now the time is not right for the Firefly Kickstarter for reasons that you can Google yourself. Joss Whedon has uh, weighed in on this issue and said, this is why there is no Firefly Kickstarter, despite the fact that we all know you would mortgage your homes to fund it. Uh, but had it existed back then, I think there would clearly would have been enough people to do something. Uh, so I like that. Now, hack- the thing about hackers is, I think hackers, uh, assuming like you said that they make this product and it's good and everything, hackers could make the Ouya a cult hit mostly by illegally emulating uh, machines owned by companies too dumb to provide their own emulators, right? Because, like, it's, you know, make it a main machine. It emulates the NES. It emulates the Super NES. It em- you know, it's an Android machine. You can port your emulators throughout there. Like, <laughs> that's what hackers are going to do. Right. Like, day one, this this will be, it can run MAME ROMs now. So now, for, for you know, less than $100, buy this box, connect it to your machi- machine, and play your gigantic library of illegal MAME ROMs, right? And, and Nintendo is kind of doing okay selling old versions of its games through WiiWare. Like, you can just pay, I don't know, eight bucks or whatever and play the original Super Mario Brothers for uh, for the NES. Uh, but Nintendo, like, like they don't really quite get it. They get it enough that they're not going to say, we will never sell the game again or not do anything. Like, you know you can find emulators for it. But Nintendo's like, we can make money off selling our old games. Let's, let's port some of them to, you know, their own emulator, whatever the heck that is they're using, right? But the thing that I, sticks in my mind about Nintendo not getting it is that when these WiiWare games were first announced when the Wii first came out, they're like, oh, and you can buy WiiWare games, and the first one will be, you know, whatever it was, and there was a, a first round of games that came out, and uh, people would ask Nintendo questions, like, what does it mean when I buy this? Like, you know, what am I buying? Because, like, it's on my flat. Like, what if my Nintendo thing, my Wii bricks itself? Because there was, like, a firmware update problem that caused, was causing them to brick themselves, like, the first week they were out or something. And I send it back to Nintendo. I'm assuming when you send me a different Wii, I'll, like, log into it, and it'll get all my WiiWare games. And Nintendo was like... Uh, no, the WiiWare games you purchase are tied to the particular console hardware you downloaded them on. Not, not the account, but the console hardware itself. Yeah. Which is crazy pants. Which is like, you know, how could those words even come out of your mouth? Like, did you have meetings where you discussed this and decided this was going to be the rule? Or is this just an implementation detail that you that you don't understand that you should be embarrassed to admit? <laughs> like, like, oh, we might be able to bring your games over, but it might be a one-time thing. Like, I think this has all changed now. I, I hope it's changed. I assume it's changed. But it's just, when I, I, when I remember reading that, I'm like... I, you guys don't get it. You don't understand what, what's going on in this world. You know, that's not how you do an online game thing. It was kind of like uh, with, with ebooks, the same thing. Back when I had the ebooks company, like the part of the benefit we always hold of ebooks is like never lose your books. If you, you know, if your palm, which was then the handheld of, of choice, falls in the toilet, 
just get a new one, hook it up, sign into your account, and re-download anything you previously purchased. Like that's the beauty of electronic books. You can get them again. And when other people had ebooks and like, okay, here's your one copy of the ebook. And if you lose it, that's it. You have to buy it again. Like, no, you don't get it. That's not that's not why we do ebooks. It's stupid. Uh, so the, the old guard, you know, Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, they're learning, they're advancing, but they are still uh, way behind where the iOS store is, which is why iOS is eating their lunch, and they're behind Uya's thinking as well. Uh, I'd say that on, on the, uh, the emulation front, Apple is just as bad here as those Nintendo and everything. It, it, Apple should really have an officially supported set of old Mac emulators built in-house by a team that they pay just to do this. Yeah. Like, don't you think it's a crime that there's no, like, <laughs> I want to emulate a Mac Plus. No, I don't want to extract the ROMs from my Mac Plus in the attic. I want you to provide me for free or just charge, you know, or charge 50 bucks for it or whatever. An emulator that runs every operating system you've ever run, free access to, like, why do you want that? Why do you think you deserve this? Like, we're not going to use it for anything useful. It's purely for nostalgia purposes. But when you have a company with $100 billion, do that. Because otherwise, people just do it on their own in third-party projects, and they do a great job, and I, I love that they're there. But that should be a responsibility of the company. It should be part of the, the company. It's not, not to keep the old things alive forever for useful purposes, but just all you need is, like, five really smart guys who would love you for letting them have an entire career of just making old stuff work. Like, yeah. You can fit that in your budget, Apple. You should really do that. And and I and unlike games, you won't make any money off of it. Even if you charge money, it's not going to be a profit center. Games, on the other hand, like that's even more stupid because like people will buy. I mean, they've proven they will buy Super Mario Bros. for eight bucks or whatever the heck it is. Like that's that's free money that you would not have gotten otherwise. People will buy and play and enjoy old games much more than they will, you know, play with uh, System Six Point Zero Point Five. They'll play with it for five minutes and get bored, you know. But I still think they should do it. All right, so they have the specs of this thing down at the bottom. It's a Tegra 3, which is the same CPU that's in the Nexus 7, I believe. One gig of RAM, which is healthy. Eight gigs of internal flash, which is about how much the Apple, the new Apple TV has. So it's not going to be, you know, storing tons of stuff there, I guess, because I can imagine, you know, four or five AAA games, as they themselves say. They use the phrase AAA. That, then all your flash RAM is going to be gone. So I'm assuming you'll be streaming stuff, you know, uh, down from the network as needed. HDMI connection with uh, 1080p support, Wi-Fi, 802.11bg.n, Bluetooth, USB. USB, I guess you could connect a bigger hard drive with it because it seems like an open type of thing. So, hey, just connect something bigger. Wireless controller, two analog sticks, D-pad, action buttons, blah, blah, blah. And a touchpad on the controller, supposedly somewhere. Uh, and Android 4.0. So this is basically a modern Android tablet in a non-tablet-shaped box with a wireless controller hooked up to your TV. That's, that's the way I would summarize this hardware-wise. And so those specs and that description, lots of other people think that that's awesome. And they pledge $4 bucks because they would love to have a non-tablet-shaped tablet that runs Android hooked up to their TV. Now, to take the air out of this, not, not that this was the goal of this, but it ended up taking a lot of the air out of the, uh, the OUYA promise and excitement. Ben Kuchera, formerly of Ars Tactica and now of the Penny Arcade Report, the one-man news machine uh, that runs game and <laughs> news over, over the Penny Arcade Empire. Right. Uh, he wrote an article called The Reality of Ouya, the Ouya Console Doesn't Match the Hype, Why You Should Be Skeptical. Uh, and it's pretty concise and well-supported takedown of, you know, if, if you want to hear the, uh, you know, the optimistic take, go to the Kickstarter page. If you want to hear the pessimistic taste or depending on your attitude the realistic take uh read ben kuchera's article so here, here are some choice parts from it why don't we do but, why don't why don't we do our second sponsor just keep them on the edge of their seat a little bit okay 
second sponsor, Squarespace.com. Everything you need to make an amazing website. What does that mean? What is Squarespace? I will tell you. It's fully hosted, completely managed environment. Let's you create and maintain a beautiful site. What is a site? Could be just like a company website. Could be a blog. Could be a portfolio with beautiful pictures that you've taken or screenshots of your work. So it means it, what it really means is no matter how experienced you are with building a website, you can build something amazing in a few minutes without having to worry about things like hosting or scaling or integrating with Twitter or Facebook or whatever services you like. And if you like real-time statistics, you don't have to integrate anything. Those are built in too. It's real-time stuff. It's really, really cool graphs, and, and I'm into the graphs. And you can see them, and it's real-time. You don't have to wait for the next day. You don't have to wait 24 hours. They're right there. You can see, did you do a tweet on uh, and, and wanted to see, is this sending traffic? You can see instantaneously if that's working. And there's even an iOS app and an Android app. Maybe the Android app will work on this. Uh, oh, yeah. I doubt it. You never know, but you can manage and you can post on the go. It, they really do everything. I run the 5x5 blog on Squarespace. I use bigweek.co on Squarespace. And those are just the simple blog implementations. If you click on the examples, they have amazing galleries of the stuff that you can do with Squarespace. It's stuff you wouldn't even believe that you could do. Sites that look completely customized that you'd never in a million years, you'd, you'd look and think, wow, you can do that? Yeah. Or you can just do like I do, straightforward blog. So there's a code. Dan sent me seven. Is a code to use. And that will get you 10% off. Now, if you sign up for a year, it's eight bucks a month and you get a free domain name registration. I don't know how they do all this. And you can apply the Dan sent me seven code and you'll get even more, 10% more. You sign up for two years, you get a bigger discount. That's the way it works. So go check them out at squarespace.com. Code to use. Dan sent me seven. And uh, I hope you like Squarespace as much as I do. And thanks very much to them for making the show possible. All right. And now on to the article, the Penny Arcade article. Yes. I was just adding some links to the show notes because David Smith has plotted the uh, hypercritical show duration and provided an Excel spreadsheet download for it. Oh, okay. So we can take that. And we can make the, the line charts or the spark lines. That he, I would already, he already already made it for oh, you. Really? Yeah. Well, I think this is what you wanted. This one right here. Oh, look at this. Clear oh, upward that's trend. it. That's what I wanted. Clear upward trend. He says. Right into it. <laughs> what happened around uh, number 20? Oh, I don't know. What was that? That was like a know. 40-something minute show. I, I have no recollection of that. I don't think he, maybe it was just a short show. It could happen. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. This is great. Thanks. This is, David, I'm going to print David this David Smith out. with no underscore. I'm going to print this out. Who knows who this guy is without the underscore? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, Ben's article here. So the first bit is that the system doesn't actually exist, which like is part of the Kickstarter thing, I think, right? That, you know, we want you to fund us so we can make this. Right. If we had already made it, uh, why would we need all your money? Or would, we, would this just be a sales channel? That's another thing with Kickstarter. It's like, say you've pretty much already completely made a product. You could go on Kickstarter and say, hey, look, isn't this cool? Like, suddenly you're using Kickstarter kind of as a way to, I mean, maybe, like, what are you bootstrapping? Are you bootstrapping the manufacturing process because you need a big upfront fee because you can't make any of these because you have to make 50,000 of them? 
otherwise each one costs 100 bucks like you know maybe you don't have the volume you need but if you squint at it sometimes it looks like this is just a promotional tool for a product that we already have and could already sell like and you just have to come up with a reason that fits within the kickstarter guidelines which we'll discuss later uh and then it becomes a sales channel. So but I, I don't think you could ding them for it not existing yet because I think you just needed a tremendous amount of capital just to make this to make one of these things working. Uh, so he says the Kickstarter state page states there's a single working prototype of the hardware. Everything else from the digital distribution platform that will sell the games to the internal components that will make up the final product are in the final stages of production. This is an uncomfortable reality for a product that's supposed to hit the market by March of next year. That's a, that's the big thing that hammers on a lot is the, is the timeline of this thing. Like okay, so you got your prototype, but like. Where is your online store? Uh, and you haven't even finalized the internal hardware. And like, if you look at the timeline of any, you know, quote unquote, real game console, like the old guard of Nintendo, Sony, whatever, like they have a timeline. So, okay, decide what we're going to make our new console, make a bunch of prototypes, figure out what the controller is supposed to look like, finalize the hardware. You maybe get one or two other revisions, you get all your manufacturing. Like, there's a timeline to these things, and their timeline seems very compressed compared to how quickly other people have done it. Uh, doesn't mean they can't pull it off, but it's tight. Like, as he said, there are only eight months between now and the stated ship date of March 2013. That would be an aggressive timeline if we were talking about Microsoft or Valve, much less an untested startup. And that's the thing about Kickstarter. You know, it, it maybe some big company that's done this before could do it well. But what about these guys? Like, that's the whole that's the deal. Like, they want to do this. They have a dream. No, they're not proven. You're not you're not giving Kickstarter money to get uh, Microsoft to do something or whatever. It's the, they they want to do this. They've never done it before. That's kind of part of the point. Uh, but the timeline does look pretty darn tight. Uh, ben asked them about the tight, and they said, this is a quote from the UI people, we continue to march toward that date. Uh, using the word march is probably not good, because in the gaming world, there's something known as a death march, okay. <laughs> which is mostly for software development, where you go into crazy crunch time, where people are working 24 hours a day and going crazy. And yeah, uh, so I don't, I don't know what they're, if they're going to hit their dates or not. It sure seems like uh, it will be difficult for them. Uh, but you know, overall, this whole idea of like they haven't, you know, they haven't gotten anything, they haven't made anything, they have an incredibly aggressive timeline, they're untested. Uh, I think they can actually make it. I think they can actually make their ship date, and then at their ship date, they will ship a crappy product. <laughs> I think that's. I think it's the most likely outcome is they will come close to or actually make their ship date. Uh, but what they will ship will not end up being everything that everyone thought it would be. I guess calling it a crappy product is unfair. But like. Not everything that everyone thinks it will be, like not the idealized dream. And the reason I say that is because AAA game developers and the like, the big con- the existing incumbent console makers take a long time to do their stuff because they produce high quality games. Like Valve is the perfect example of that Valve takes forever to release anything. Like where's where's Half Life Three? You know, what I mean, <laughs> you know, why why does it take them so long to do stuff? Uh, why are delays like shouldn't they getting be getting better and not worse well, shouldn't they be more efficient at getting things done on time everything takes forever uh you know but you rush a miracle man you get rotten miracles as they say it's you can't it, the, making something good takes a long time you make you make something and it works and kind of does what you want but you can't ship that you got to go back and say yeah but is it awesome is every part of it awesome but what about this what about that all right now is it awesome it takes forever to make things great so i would suggest that you have people Miss your ship date or move your ship date or do something, whatever you can, to give yourselves more time. Because I don't think people are like, oh, you got to have it out by March 2013 or I hate you. They're going to hate you if you ship them something they don't like or that doesn't succeed. Take the extra time and make the thing awesome. And it takes time to make things awesome. There's just no way. It takes money, yes, and they're getting lots of money, but it also takes time. And you can't, you know, I, I, this is going to be coming like, this is my version of the, uh, 
what's his name? Dr. Phil show, Dr. Philisms. You can't, you can't pay, you can't get nine <laughs> women to produce a baby in one month. Right. So Ben goes on. There's more problems such as the lack of a final controller design. They show them like with all the different prototypes and like sanding foam blocks to things or whatever. Uh, and he, he gets on them by saying, you can't say you have an awesome controller when you don't even know what your controller is going to be. He asked again, the UI people, he said, that design is not final, like the ones you see in the video. We are in a prototype phase and exploring several options. And as Ben says, that's why they can't show a finished controller because there isn't one. No one knows what it will be or how it will look. Well, I think you can get a gist of how it's going to look by looking at the... Uh, the prototypes, but it's now let me let me ask you this: as an expert in controllers, yes, I, I submit that uh, John Syracuse is an expert witness when it comes to controllers. Have you ever looked at a controller and thought that it would be one way, and when using it, realized it was another way? In other words, can you look at this controller as an expert and tell us will it be good? No, you can't. You, I mean, you can you can make you can make some judgments like have they put controls in what look to be the places where your hands will fall naturally, but you, it's very difficult to tell without using one whether something will be comfortable or not. And you will never find like the little annoying things. Like for example, before I had used a PlayStation controller with shoulder buttons for a, a long period of time, I did not realize that the shoulder buttons would be quite as uncomfortable as they are. Uh, you know, this is like the little sharp edge that the thing goes into. It's something that you wouldn't pick up. Uh, another example is the Wii controller. I thought it was crazy for them to make it square look like it looked like a television remote with square edges mm-hmm. because nintendo is supposed to be the company that understands that our hands don't make a perfect rectangle when we close them around something they make this other lumpy shape with little patty stuff all around it and so don't make your thing like i understand why they made it look like a tv remote to make people comfortable hey it's just a tv remote that's white uh but this one controls the wii uh, but in practice the when you're holding it the curved bottom of it which was not you know didn't jump out at you when you saw it from like they show the top view and stuff it would look like a remote but the bottom is is curved and it's way thicker than a regular remote in practice that it like it feels comfortable feels much more comfortable to hold than you would think when just looking at it so i think you do have to hold it to see uh but at least looking at it you can say what are their goals here is to have a bunch of sticks and buttons and shoulder buttons they said they're going to have a touch area too you know that which controller that you have held does it look the most like and can you imagine what it would feel like to hold it and uh you know so it's it's kind of guesswork but uh but you can get you can get an idea of what it might be like uh so let's see what else they have this is the big one here uh when ben was asking them like they talk about uh all sorts of uh they show in the video all sorts of games, like they show Minecraft and other like little pictures of games that could potentially be there. And when Ben asked them, he said, uh, uh, "You know, which games are confirmed to be are, are going to be on this console?" And he said, "The company refused to confirm the existence of a single game that will run on the Ouya hardware, which is different than this than the feeling you get watching a review. Like, oh, everything's coming. You know, all these great games are going to be here. All Android games that you love, and it'll be awesome, and blah blah blah." Uh, and I, they probably were good about not actually claiming that some game is going to be there, but it makes it sure makes it seem like it. But at this point, like no one's committed to make games for this console because the console doesn't exist. And I think that like that should be expected from a Kickstarter project. Like it's not ready yet. They didn't. How can you get? How can they go to someone and say we want you to to sign a contract that says you will make a version of your hit game for our thing? And they say, great, what thing? Uh, well, we haven't made the thing yet. But after we make the thing, will you make a game? Okay, well, how much are you going to pay us? Well, we don't really have that much money. I guess that's changed now. But, like, it's tough for them to have a deal. But if you were to read that the Kickstarter page when it first came up, you would feel like people have already signed on to make games. This thing but that's just not the case. Now, as the people said, you know, they could not confirm a single game. They said, not at this time. 
Uh, we are obviously talking to developers behind the scenes, but we feel it's too early to announce. Yeah, it's too early to announce because you don't have anything to announce yet, which is fine, but, you know, don't make it seem like you do. And Minecraft was one of the games that they mentioned on there. Uh, so the Kickstarter page is a quote from the Kickstarter page. It says, Mojang, which is the company that makes Minecraft, has committed that Minecraft and their other games will be on Ouya. Uh, but as Ben says, the next sentence makes it very clear that this is not the case. The next sentence begins with the word, but, but only if we prove to them we can make a great product. That's our job. And enough people want their games. That's your job. Show them with your numbers. All right. So have they committed <laughs> or is it a conditional commitment? Like they said, you know, we'll make a game if your Kickstarter succeeds. It's not really clear. Uh, so Marcus uh, Person, is that how you pronounce his name? P-E-R-S-S-O-N? Yes. yes. Notch. You did, you did an interview with him, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I, I listened to that one. He's awesome. Uh, he has a Twitter account, like everybody. And he tweeted something uh, relevant to this. He said, see, the problem with Minecraft for Ouya is that it's Android, and our Android version of Minecraft isn't exactly that super great. And this is, you know, starting to get down to the nitty-gritty details of like, all right, so assume this happens and everything. You've made a Android device that connects to your TV that plays games. Where are the awesome games that run on Android? Like, are you going to take advantage of them, or are you expecting people to write them from scratch? And so, you know, Minecraft, just as one example, they have an Android version, but it's not, like, awesome. And why might the Android version of the game not be that super awesome? For all the same reasons that any software for Android might not be awesome. Well, fragmentation. It's very, you know, Lots of uh, Android devices have been sold, but not all of them can play Minecraft decently. And it's, even the ones that can, it's very difficult to support them all. Uh, do people who are really into games uh, buy Android devices to play games? Or do most of the people buy Android devices not even realize that they can play games or not even realize that there's an app store and just use them as like a smartphone that does like, you know, Twitter with the built-in app and they look at Facebook in the web browser. Like, Is there something about an Android user that makes them not think about games first? Yeah, and, and that's why the developers don't go there. Like, why are all these developers making iOS games? Because you make tons of money when you make an iOS game. Who is it that uh, Epic Mega Games, the makers of uh, Unreal Tournament and Gears of War and many other things, including the Unreal Engine, which powers tons and tons of games on many different platforms, they recently said that the most profitable game they created recently was uh, Infinity Blade, which is an iOS game, an iOS-only game. Not, not made the most money, but actually maybe it did. I should look that up. But, uh, but the most profitable. Like they, It took how much money for us to make this game, and then how much money did we get back? Like They put that up on the App Store. Apple promoted it in their keynotes, and they made tons of money. You know? So that might be one of the strong reasons why. Why is Minecraft or Android not that great? Well, because... Not, not that many people seem to be buying games on Android. And if a lot of people don't buy games, people aren't motivated to make games. And people who have games are going to make the iOS port first because that's where the money is. Yeah. You, did you play Infinity Blade? No. I, like, I, I saw the demos of it and it didn't appeal to me. It looks sure looked good. Look fancy. Might be good for kids to play, but it's just I don't, I'm not a swipey on screen kind of game, or at least not for that type of thing. Okay. Yeah, and as Ben says in a tweet, using Minecraft so prominently in the marketing and stating it's coming when it's far from a sure thing is kind of scummy. I don't know if you'd call it scummy. I mean, maybe I think they oversold. I think the Ouya people oversold their case a little bit, which is a danger when you're putting up a page where you want people to give you almost a million dollars. You're like, we got to make this sound awesome. So can we write things in there? Like that sentence for like, you know, Minecraft is committed to coming, but only if we are able to, you know. It's two sentences, and the truth is in there. You're not technically lying, but a fast read-through could lead people to believe something that's not actually true. Yeah, and a- Android fragmentation, I think, is, is going to be, you know, uh, some kind of issue. 
uh, Ben talks about this. He says, uh, he, the statement they got from them is, there will be only one chipset for Ouya and a totally standard one at that. This is the best way to develop for Android for TV. We will work hard to make it as standard as possible. I'm sure they will, but like, if you're, Android is not a thing that you can make games for. Like, say you are the company that has Minecraft, and you're like, we should make an Android version of this game because Android is all over the place, and people have phones, and they have Android tablets, and now they have this Android device connected to your TV. You can't make one game and sell it on quote-unquote Android. I mean, if only because this one has a controller and not a touchscreen. <laughs> you know, like, you can't make the same game, or you shouldn't make the same game for these two things. So you're not making an Android game. You're making an Ouya game. You're making an Android tablet game. Maybe you're making a Nexus 7 game. Who knows? Like, you make an Android tablet game. I, if it runs on the Nexus 7 uh, and takes advantage of that hardware, it is not going to run on the Kindle Fire with its crappy hardware. Uh, or the current version of the Kindle Fire, anyway. So Android is not really a gaming platform. Android is an enabling technology that lets people make devices that could play games, but yeah. So Ben, Ben's conclusion here is it's selling a dream, not a solution. I, again, I think that's, that's part of Kickstarter. Kickstarter <laughs> is kind of about selling a dream. Ben's major criticism is that their dream seems, uh, seems ambitious, perhaps unrealistic. And, you know, their success is the, the facts contributing to their possible success or failure are not reassuring. Uh, this is a quote from Robert Boyd, who is actually affiliated with Penny Arcade because he made the uh, Rain Slick Precipice games that they make over there. Uh, main problem with Ouya is that it's selling a dream, the console for indie developers. Its primary selling points are that it's cheap and that developers can make games for it without buying expensive development kits. However, you can already get all of that with a cheap PC, and unlike the Ouya, the installed base for PCs is already massive. Uh, that's true. <laughs> and again, that's that's part of that's part of the. Case. I mean, here's here's an actual game developer weighing in. Are you attracted to this? Like, he likes the idea of a console for any developers, but he doesn't like the idea of developing a game for a platform with an uncertain future. So here's my outlook on Ouya. Okay. Given all of that, and uh, people, uh, some people complain when I frame things in terms of Apple, and some people say like it because it seems like more on topic because Apple's right in the description. But that's just what I do, so I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Apple already has almost all of these pieces. Like, they don't have the controller. Uh, you know, they don't have anything. Uh, maybe that's, like, the important missing piece that they don't have. They don't have a controller that they sell. Uh, but they do have wireless video, which is something that Ouya seems not to sell that may be a selling point. Uh, but here, here are the other pieces that they have that Ouya does not. And millions of devices already sold. That is a, you know, first thing, you got to get the things into the hands of the people. Apple has done that. Millions and millions and millions of people have iOS devices that are capable of playing games already. Done. Finished. Millions of customers with means of paying, with payment things on file, credit cards. I don't know in other countries they have things other than credit cards. I assume they do because credit cards aren't as widespread in the rest of the world. But they have customers, they have payment information. And these customers have proven that they will use that payment information to buy software. This is a critical step that we don't want to forget. I've got lots of customers. I've got their credit cards. Yeah, but do they use it to buy software? Have you made it so that that's something they want to do? Have they proven they're willing to do that? Yes, yes. Apple's customers have proven that they're willing to buy billions of dollars for the software, right? Uh, Apple has a TV-connected device. Uh, granted, the Apple TV is almost certainly too weak hardware-wise to compete with the Ouya on power, like not even close. Uh, but on the other hand, wait for the next version of the Apple TV. Who knows what that will be like? And I think the next version of the Apple TV will probably be out before the Ouya. So it, comparing the current Apple TV to the Ouya on hardware specs is not a good idea. What if Apple just built a Bluetooth controller for Apple TV? Like, isn't that it? Like, what? give me, you know, a new Apple TV that, that is comparable in power to the Ouya, and it comes with Bluetooth controllers. 
what now, what advantage does Ouya have over Apple? Certainly Apple has tons of advantages over there in terms of establishment and a proven track record of making something great and customers willing to buy. They've got the App Store, which is more restrictive than what Ouya is talking about, but not so much so that people couldn't get their games out there. You know what I mean? Maybe, again, emulators would still be the exclusive realm of Ouya because you can't put them on the App Store because the content owners will sue and the Apple will pull them. Or they won't sue. They'll just complain to Apple and Apple will pull them like they have with the NES emulator and all the other things that are out there. Uh, I don't think Apple will produce a Bluetooth controller uh, because I think that would fragment Apple's space into like touch games versus non-touch games. And that's not something Apple wants to do. And it seems like for now, Apple thinks that touch is all it needs. Like we don't need, I know you guys, some of you people are into the thing with your hold the controller, but why would we fragment our game space in that way by, by having some games you have to play on the Apple TV with a controller, but other iOS games you can play on the iPad. We'll just stick with touch. Thanks. It's doing fine for us. <laughs> We're making tons of money. Uh, and, and they may be right. They may be right. The touch is all Apple needs. Uh, and that's kind of sad for self-identifying gamers. I never know what to call It's kind of sad for gamers. If you say gamers, what I mean when I say gamers is people like me who've been playing video games their whole lives, the, the hardcore gamers. I don't like that term either. Self-identifying gamers is a little bit better. It's kind of a mouthful and awkward. But then again, that means it's more it's probably, like, that's more what you're going for. Self-identifying gamers. Yeah. It's probably appropriate for the show. Uh, th- yeah. Because do you call yourself a gamer? That is different than, oh, well, gamers, anybody who plays games, and we all play games, which is true. But, like, if you ask someone, are you a gamer, if they have to think about it and go, wait, do you mean, like, do I play games? They're not a gamer. Gamers will say, yes, I am a gamer. And so, yeah, for them, we like controls. You can play different kinds of games. It's just the touch games are have more broad appeal and sell to more people. And, you know, so tough luck. So maybe Apple will enter their space, but Apple is, like, Apple is, Apple is already sitting at the top of the mountain that they are currently at the base of preparing, like, their camp right? And then getting all their climbing gear together and putting on the oxygen mask. And when they get up to the top, they'll be Apple with a long flowing gray beard levitating in the Lotus position saying, oh, hi, guys. And then they, if Apple, if they end up being a threat and they're almost at the top of the mountain, Apple snaps its fingers and a Bluetooth controller appears next to it and they fall to their death. So <laughs> hopefully Apple will not even notice them because it'll too busy uh, meditating in bliss. Did I do enough uh, uh, meditation and Buddhism inaccurate cliches for you there? I, I, I'm sticking with you anyway. All right. That's it. Artistic license. How about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Apple's also got the AirPlay thing, which is probably too laggy for any non-casual games, but it's out there. Like, oh, it's too laggy to play a real game. Well, maybe Apple doesn't want you to play real games. Maybe it's okay. You can, can you play Angry Birds over AirPlay? I bet you could, and I bet it would be pretty good uh, if they had some means of control or whatever. Like, some games do this already where you have one iOS device and you look at the TV screen, but, like, it's out there, right? Software sales infrastructure. This is a big one. You think it's easy to run a digital store? where you sell software to people. I mean, even Apple can't get it right with the App Store corruption and stuff. Like, things happen. It's not easy to build that. And they've had, you know, years and years of experience selling digital music, selling video, now selling software, installation, updates, removal. Like, that infrastructure is not like a trivial part of this project. Oh, yeah, and then we'll just have a store where you can buy games. Like, that's, if anything, that may be more work than building the actual console. Uh, Maybe they're not emphasizing that because people don't understand that, but I hope they understand it, building the people building the OEA. Uh, and, you know, like I said, the big difference is that Apple, Google, Microsoft, all those people have a proven record of shipping hardware and creating and supporting platforms. Like, that's that's the big one. Like, what, what you're making is not a hardware device and not some software and not a store. It's a platform. And what do you have to do for a platform? To create one, to get developers on board, to support them, to, you know, to have a developer program, you know, to have documentation, have your... Just that, that entire infrastructure around getting people to help 
contribute to your success by being a developer on your platform. It's very difficult to be a platform owner. Uh, it's a, not a skill set that most companies have. Now, the, tr- the one thing Ouya is right about is that the traditional TV console business is right for disruption, as, as Horace would say. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're slow, they're dumb, they didn't, want to do, they didn't want to do anything particularly interesting, they just wanted to make more and more powerful consoles and keep selling them to you, right? But, as I said before, Apple mostly already disrupted it. Like, that happened. You know, Ouya is not going to disrupt the TV console business because Apple already disrupted it. And Apple disrupted it not by making a better TV console, but just by playing an entirely different game. That's how disruption works. Disruption doesn't work because, you know, you make, I made a console that's better than all yours. I disrupted your space. No, they didn't make a console. They made a phone and they disrupted the gaming space. Like, I don't think people saw that coming. Not even like, you know, Nokia with the N-Gage. They made, you know, handheld multi-purpose devices. You didn't buy an iPhone to play games. You didn't, you know, in the beginning, you didn't buy an iPad to play games because there were no games for the iPad, practically. Uh, they built a multi-purpose device that used to browse the web and check your email and, you know, run applications and, uh, oh, yeah, and you can also play games on it, right? And the console incumbents, so, you know, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, Sega, they couldn't do that. They can't, they don't have the, the facilities or skill or knowledge or anything to say, we're going to make a general purpose computing platform and a software ecosystem they can't do that. That's not that's not anywhere close to their skill set. Again, I was, just got through saying companies can have new skill sets, but that's a that's a tall order. All right, so you used to be making game consoles in Nintendo. Now we would like you to become a general purpose computing platform to rival Microsoft and Apple and go. Oh, and by the way, after you do that, you can sell games on it and, and it will disrupt your previous business. That's that's a tall order. Uh, Microsoft is, on the other hand, they're in this game. They're the closest, right? You know, Microsoft, hey, they... They made the most successful computing platform ever in the form of Windows, right? Or arguably someone can figure out what most successful means in that context. But hey, it was definitely successful in its time. Uh, they have that skill set. And Xbox Live was definitely a pioneer in this area. It just didn't quite go far enough. Like the people who were behind the Xbox and behind Xbox Live were like, let's take the existing console business and make our own awesome console that's competitive at least if it's not better than everything else. But our strength is we know how to make like online services because we made MSN and MSN is awesome. And it's really next year, I swear it's going to crush AOL. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we, ha- we have the skill set to do this. Let's make Xbox Live. And Xbox Live really was innovative and interesting, and it went far beyond what Sony and Sega and Nintendo had the wherewithal or knowledge to do because they were just weren't set up to make online services. And so Xbox Live came and gave you your buddy lists and your achievements and all like all this other stuff that everyone has, has since copied. It was innovative in that regard, but it wasn't. It was still a, a traditional game console for similar price for with a similar innards with a similar software ecosystem where you had to go through Microsoft to get your games on it. And yeah, they did Xbox Live Arcade. Which was slightly more open, and you know, they didn't they didn't you know go way past that. It, it was Xbox Live was conceived of and executed by people who loved console games, and so they're not going to be the ones who decide we should make a phone because that will be our way to dominate the gaming space. And I don't think Apple said we should make a phone because that'll be our way to dominate the gaming space. It just happened. It just happened to be you know the way it worked out. I think it's all having ooh yeah, ooh yeah, yeah. I I still do not like the name. I wish them luck. Uh, I think it will be an awesome emulation device, but uh, I'm not sure what their chances are. Oh yeah, gosh, I know. I so short, been. short question. I mean, are you going to be getting one of these things? Um, you know, I'm. I haven't even backed the Kickstarter. I'm uh, definitely in wait and see mode. I mean, I'm in wait and see mode for most of these type of things. Like, what would it pay. take to get you to get a brand new console, though? 
it would have to there would have to be something on it that I want to play. Even if that's like, oh, you can this is has the most awesome MAME emulator ever. Maybe that's enough to get me to buy it if mm. it's cheap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm I'm not saying you have to you have to have the next Zelda game on your console where I won't buy it. It just you have to you have to show me that you you know, I'm I'm a casual participant in this. I'm not like, oh, I want that to exist so badly that I want to fund it. Uh if they make something that appeals to me, I'll get it. You know? Uh but if not, then oh well. Yeah, it's uh, put it this way, like before the UI came out, I wasn't stewing and going, you know, it would really be awesome if someone made like an Android power thing that hooks up to your TV that you could play constantly. Like I wasn't, ne- I was never musing on that. So I'm clearly not in their target market for this type of thing. Other people, you know, $4 million worth of other people were in that market. I just don't happen to be. So can we do our final sponsor while you prepare for your next topic? Sure. Freshbooks.com painless billing. I mean, that's it. I could end it there. Just go to freshbooks.com. But I will, I'll, I'll tell you a little more about it because I want to keep this one simple. I don't know. I won't, don't want people to overthink this. Do you need to send invoices ever for anything? If you do, go to freshbooks.com, sign up, and, and do it there. It's the simplest way to do it. It's the most straightforward way to do it. It's the fastest way to do it. It's also the fastest way to like organize your expenses and track time, too. You can try it free for 30 days. You get to use the full, uh, and as, as John says, the full Mac Daddy account. And you basically can get in there. You can create accounts for your employees so that they can track their time. You can give them the authority to do different things within the system. You're going to save a lot of time with FreshBooks. That's what it all comes down to. And you're going to get paid faster. And you're going to know when the people that you're sending the invoices to have seen the invoices. It takes the mystery out of this. You want to get paid? You want to do it easily? You just use this system. It'll send them a link. They get the link in the email. They click the link. The second they do that, you know that they've logged in and seen it. You can see what they do. If you already do online payments, if you want to tie PayPal into this, if you have Authorize.net or any of the other big ones, it'll plug right into this. So you can collect online payments. Or they can just print out the invoice and send you a check. It even lets them print out an invoice that has one of those little handy-dandy check stubs on it and send it with their payment. I mean, they've thought of all of this stuff. So go check it out, freshbooks.com. Save yourself some time and get back to the focusing on the stuff that you like to do, freshbooks.com. What else you got, John? How much time do you have? Should I try to squeeze in the final two? Or should I skip the last one? See, you put this on me so that I get to be the villain if I say, well, you know, We've been talking for 77 minutes. Uh, you can say, oh, you know. You, you can don't be want the hero to, to people who want shorter <laughs> shows. Don't think of yourself as the villain. I'm just asking you. I, I, I think I it's, the time, so do you. <laughs> John, I think it's safe to assume that all of our listeners like the longer shows better. I don't all of them. All right. Well, so should we do both or one? No, it's up to you. Why don't we do one and, and see where, where we wind up? Because I want to do the last one last. So we have to decide now. Do oh, I do the middle one? Let's do the last one then now. All right. Do the last one last. And then we can't go back and do the middle one then. I. Well, then we'll do the last one last because I'm, I'm scheduled to start with Jim in 15 minutes. So. All right. Geez. Okay. Well, that's maybe we should. Maybe I think we should stop now then. Really? Yeah, because I, I don't want to like give this last one a short shrift and I don't want to cut too much. into. Can Jim's you stuff. say what it is? The last two? Yeah. Ty- can you pay, paste them to me or type them in the. Oh, like secretly. Yeah, so we're having secret communications. The listeners aren't part of. Yeah, that's, that's the first one. I get to hear my mouse wheel. Sorry about that. I like that. I feel and, like I'm right there in the, in the room with you. 
And that is the last one. All right, I'm looking at this. Oh! As, some, as someone in the chat room said, scheduling anything after hypercritical is a dire mistake. <laughs> okay. Oh, we, we, that we, last one is a big one. No, we've got to do that. We've got to do it. But Jim, we don't have time. We don't no, have time. I'm, I'm going to message Jim because we've got to do that. Now, the, the, the middle one, the middle one could wait. All right. Okay, now, the middle one could wait. You can see how that's kind of of a piece, though, with the one I just did before, right? Yeah. The middle like, one can wait, though, but this last one we've got to do. I'm going to just message Jim and tell him we're, we're running a little late. This is real-time rescheduling, folks. Yeah. That's how it happens on the fly. You can blame, blame it all on Andy, not me. I, well, I am. There you go. And it is it is a little bit of Andy's fault because we had a technical issue during Andy's show. It's not Andy's fault. It just it was a technical issue during the show that slowed us down. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So let's just try. We'll try and keep this one focused. This is big, though. I'm really glad you want to do this one. We've got to do it. Okay. This one is related to both gaming and to Ben Kuchera's views on the Ouya because Ben Kuchera is an employee of Penny Arcade. Yes. And this is the Penny Arcade Kickstarter. Uh, for those who don't know, Penny Arcade is a webcomic, wildly successful. They have their own convention. These people seem like that they don't need a Kickstarter. It seems like they've, they've kickstarted already. Like they, this is a massively successful endeavor started by two guys. It's like the, you know, the internet dream story. Everybody loves them. Why do they need a Kickstarter? Right. How could that even exist? Right. Shouldn't they be kickstarting other people with their billions of dollars that they have and gold bullion stacked in the back of the Penny Arcade headquarters? So the Penny Arcade Kickstarter, which will be in the show notes, is uh, the first of all the goal. The goal is two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which I feel like that's those guys make that much money when they sneeze. Right. That doesn't seem like a lot. What are they? What which what project are they making for two hundred fifty thousand dollars? For two hundred fifty thousand dollars they will remove what they call the leaderboard ad from the Penny Arcade page. They, you give them, so this is the thing. You give money, and then for a year, for one year, after yes. like they are fully funded, that leaderboard ad goes away on their page. Uh, but, of course, that's not the limitation of their goal. They have an entire like little treasure map trail on the Kickstarter page that shows, uh, okay, so that's our goal, and if you do that, you get the leaderboard ad removed from the from the from the Penny Arcade homepage, right? right? And they yes. show what that would look like. Here is the current Penny Arcade homepage, and look, we've removed the ad. See how there's more content? Still is an ad on the right side, but there's no ad on top, right? If you keep going, and you give three twenty five, yeah, well, that's for like a bunch of things. The next one is like for five twenty five thousand, all the ads on the homepage are removed, right? And then there's a bunch of all the milestones for cool things that you can get for. One million dollars for nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. For one million dollars, all of Penny Arcade will be ad-free. Uh, and then they have even more going all the way up to one point four million. A lot of the achievements, or the, the the milestones, are they just say locked? Question mark? Question mark? You don't know what that's going to be. They've been slowly <laughs> revealing them. Right. But like you know, for the ones that I didn't list, you know, for three twenty-five thousand, they'll do a, an original six-page comic strip using one of the properties that they have uh, that they came up with that they never had time to do whose name I don't want to try to pronounce because I don't know where the accents go on the syllables. You want to try that one? Mm. Automaton? Yeah, that sounds oh. right. Yeah, it's not automaton. No, that's because it's no... Automaton, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that, like there are many... Or, or you're, that, you're thinking it could be automata. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe, I'm not going to try it. Uh, like for 550000 they'll do a six-page comic for The Lookouts, which is another franchise that they just haven't had time to get to, and so on and so forth. A lot of these things are locked. Like the, they had a podcast a while ago. For 825000 they will revive their podcast. In case you wanted to know, that's how much money it takes to run podcasts, apparently. $825,000. If you give Dan that, he will start a podcast. One. 
but yeah, but so the big deal is for 250K, that's their project. Like it says, what is the goal? Goal is $250,000. And what do you get for that? They remove the main leaderboard ad at the top of their homepage. Uh, and, and then a million dollars, all Pin Arcade is ad free for one year, right? So, so for a million, this, and I think, you know, this is the interesting part of it to me is that it just, it seems weird to me to take the, I mean, that we're going to go into this because this is something I think is really interesting, but doesn't it seem weird to have these like little, like buy and make one ad go away, then make one, another ad go away. Wouldn't you want the whole shebang? Isn't the real goal? I mean, it seems to me like their real goal should be the million dollars, doesn't it? Because yeah, that's it, what people it, that, really want is all ad free. Like it would that's be. That's what I thought. That's what I thought the goal was when I first read it. Yeah. And then I looked at the funding. I'm like, oh, 250k. You can't take away all the ads for 250k. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But like, uh, first, first I want to talk about like why, you know, the, the controversy this caused is, you know, it stems mostly from Pain Arcade. We all know them. We all know they're successful. Why do they need our money? Why do they need any money? Why are they in Kickstarter? Kickstarter should be for the upstarts. Kickstarter should be should be for the next webcomic that's gonna, you know dethrone penny arcade is the best web comic in the world you know like it should be it shouldn't be for these people and so here's from the kickstarter guidelines uh the number one item on the kickstarter guidelines is funding for projects only projects is in italics and it says a project has a clear goal like making an album a book or a work of art a project will eventually be completed and something will be produced by it a project is not open-ended starting a business for example does not qualify as a project uh so is penny arcade under the letter of the law here well does it have a clear goal? Uh, I guess. I mean, they have a funding goal, and they're going to do something with just remove an ad. I mean, it seems like not a lot of work, but that's a goal, I guess. Uh, a project will eventually be completed. Yes, that's true. Uh, it will be the end of the year. Something will be produced by it. I guess what will be produced would be a year of no banner ad on the top of Penny Arcade, and by the end of it, you can say, and here we have it. We had an entire year. Like, does that count as a product? Not open-ended? This is not open-ended. It ends after a year, Right. They're probably kind of sort of under the letter of the law, and I'm assuming Kickstarter would have booted them out if they weren't by now, right? Uh, but a lot of people see this not as a project to be completed, but as a way to maintain an existing business. I think the phrase keeping the lights on was used by the Penny Arcade guys at some point. I look for it. It's not on the Kickstarter page. Maybe it's in the video. I couldn't find it, so I apologize if I'm misattributing this. But a lot of people get the feeling that like, this is kind of like you want to maintain, you want to keep your existing business going, uh, and that's what this Kickstarter is about. And not because you need the money, because like without this money, Penny Arcade would disappear. They won't. Like, you know, they have money. They, they would just They're like changing the business models, essentially. Or, 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 you know, and again, the Penny Arcade guys have emphasized so much that like, this is an experiment. They don't know if this is going to work. They're not betting their lives on this. If it doesn't work, oh, well, that was an experiment. It's something they want to try. Like, so people are like, you can't do this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, then don't fund it. Then the experiment will fail, right? Uh, and, you know, so... Uh, I, People get, who are getting butthurt about this are, are a little bit uh, – I don't think it's justified to be angry about this project, especially since they're, you know, they're so uh, open about the fact this is an experiment. And, like, and the fact – they just shouldn't have to explain that. Like if Kickstarter, the site, decides that this Kickstarter thing fits within their guidelines, that's up to the site. It's not up to you to decide. Oh, that's not – it shouldn't even be a Kickstarter. You don't run Kickstarter. That's not up to you, right? And once it's on the site, if you don't like it, don't fund it. Like every other Kickstarter on – like it's the point of Kickstarter. It's up to Penny Arcade to convince you that it's something they want to do. But Penny Arcade is even coming out and saying, look, we don't even know this is going to work. Maybe it's a dumb idea. How many people are out there who want to do this? We'll see. Uh, Guideline number three is no fund my life, in quote, projects. Examples include a project to pay tuition bills or to go on vacation or to buy a new camera. And some people might say, (laughs) aren't we trying to fund the Penny Arcade guy's life by doing this? 
I would say no. I think their lives are already pretty well funded. Thank you very much. And they don't need their money to fund your lives. Thank you very much. Uh, as you said, it's just like they would like that money to come from a different area. Now, when when someone asked me about the Kickstarter and, uh, uh, you know, they're like, uh, this person said it was well, 250000 That doesn't seem like enough to, right. to make. The, the minute you see that, I mean, if, if you know how any of these websites work, that's you just say that's, there's no way that's enough money. Yeah. Not in and a million so, years. So Mike from Penny Arcade uh, had made a statement on this on the Penny Arcade website, and here's what he says. Some people have asked if the Kickstarter amount is really how much we make in advertising a year. Advertising revenue changes from year to year, but the truth is that, that this figure is significantly less than we generally make. This Kickstarter is not about making money. It's about working directly for you guys and the freedom that will give us as artists. So he's coming around saying, this is not like, if we take away our advertising, we need money to make up. This does not give them as much money as their advertising gives them. They are finding a way to change their business model to give them less money. Because if they continue to do advertising, the the advertisers pay much more. And this gets back to something I've said several shows ago. I don't remember which one. I'm sorry. Uh, that in general, advertisers are massively outbidding users when it comes to paying for content, right? So, you know, advertisers will pay you X amount for you to produce that content as long as you put their ads on it. And the, the customers who will consume that content will pay you Y amount and Y is way less than X. You're just, customers are just getting outbid. Right? It's just why there's so much content that's free, but that in which you are being sold to advertisers, right? Uh, and I'm not sure even like the Mighty Penny Arcade with its gigantic user base can hope to Equal, I mean, you know, can hope to equal the money that advertisers pay them because they're, you know, they already for Penny Arcade seems to think that's probably not going to happen. They already set their goal as lower. They set it as, uh, you know, much less. They said, look, look, we know customers aren't going to give as much money to advertise. So let's just set the goal lower. Like that seems to be what they're communicating with with the goal that they have there. Now they may be wrong. It could be they set the goal at two fifty k and they get funded at nine million, and maybe nine million is actually what they make in advertising a year. I have no idea what their numbers are, but like anyone who's run a website and who understands the kind of traffic that Penny Arcade gets, like, you can kind of do the math and figure out Penny Arcade makes a lot of money in advertising. That is a popular website, and, like, and, that, and that is just one of many revenue streams. They sell T-shirts, they sell merchandise, they have a super successful convention that's, like, sold out every year with 60,000 people paying, like, you know, anywhere from 25 to $75 to attend, and then I'm sure they charge for space at the conventions to get access to those people, and, like, you know, this is not their only revenue stream, just those ads on the site. Uh, so my, my take on this is that I would love for this to work. And I think Penny Arcade's motives are pure and just, as is almost always the case with these guys, and, and my estimation from a distance over here. Uh, right now, if people who don't follow the comic they might not know, the Penny Arcade guys do a lot of work for advertisers. Like an advertiser will come to them and say, we're going to run an ad on your site or whatever. But some of them also say, hey, can you make us, one of the things they do a lot is promotional comics. Can you make us a promotional comic for our new game? So, you know, the... Uh, Jerry will write it. He's the, the writer for Penny Arcade, uh, and Mike will draw it. Uh, and it will involve the characters in the video game. It will be like five or six pages, and it will go up on the video game owner's website uh, as a, way, a promotional material. So people who are Penny Arcade, Penny Arcade fans are like, oh, I, lo- I want to see the Penny Arcade Splinter Cell comic because I love those guys, and they make funny comics, and now they're going to make one featuring characters from a game that I liked. And that drives people to, to be more interested in Splinter Cell, to go to the Splinter Cell site to see that comic, and you know maybe buy the game. So... But, of course, that takes work. Like, it's not like, oh, we'll just put your ad on our site. Right. They're doing actual work, drawings, creative work for other people. It's kind of like they're an advertising agency where you pay them lots of money and they will draw a comic for your game. Uh, now, the Penny Arcade guys, 
not that they dislike doing this because they're game fans too. And I think they do comics for games that they like. Like for example, uh, Mike got to draw a comic for legend of Zelda skyward sword, which he was just over the moon about because he's a huge Zelda fan. And he finally got to draw in an official capacity as paid by Nintendo. He got to draw link and draw Zelda stuff. And so that was just awesome for him. Uh, but in general, what they've said is they want to make things for the fans. And as much as fans may enjoy a Splinter Cell comic, like they have their own things. That, like they just want to make things just for the listener, uh, the listeners, just for their customers, just for the people who read the site. And the people who read their site want to see, you know, more Penny Arcade content, not advertising driven, but like they want to make a Lookouts thing. Lookouts is you know one of their franchises that's different from their comic strip with a bunch of you know child characters learning how to. Uh, be adults in the woods and kind of a medieval type fantasy land thing. God, that was the worst description ever of the workouts. I apologize for anybody who actually knows what they are. Um, <laughs> but like they did a couple of sketches and stuff about that and did a couple of comics on the main Penny Arcade thing. They're like, yeah, more of that. Why can't you guys do that? Well, the reason they can't do it is because they do three uh, Penny Arcade comics a week and they do this stuff for advertisers. And like there's only so much bandwidth in, in two people, right? And they are kind of a you know they are the franchise those two guys if they get hit by a bus there's problems in the land of penny arcade right uh and so to give them more bandwidth like what if you guys didn't have to do this stuff for advertisers now it's not like they're hunting down the advertisers they have a staff to like do advertising sales and all you know all the things you expect but the bottom line is to do those comics and stuff it takes time and effort and that's time and effort they're not spending on their own work that they want to do uh so I really do hope that this succeeds because I think that model, I think most people, most of us agree that that model, like we like it better, especially in theory, you can get people to agree. Would you rather have advertisers pay creative people and then creative people do their work with the advertisers money, but then sell you the person who will consume the creative content to the advertisers. They sell your eyeballs, your attention, your whatever you want to, you know, your, your time and attention to use Merlin's phrase, whatever you want to, uh, uh, to think of it as you are being sold to the advertiser and in exchange you get to read something for free or would you rather have it so that someone makes something that you like and you pay the money for it and if you don't like it you don't pay the money if you do like it you do pay the money and depending on how good it is that's how much money they can charge for it like that's a much simpler model that's kind of the apple model where we're going to make an ipad and if you think it's awesome pay us x hundred dollars and in exchange we'll give you an ipad transaction completed right uh, and you could buy games on it and stuff like that or whatever but like it's not, you know, we're not selling you to an advertiser. We make a hardware product. We sell it to you at a profit. That's how we make our money. It's a very clean and simple model. In theory, everyone agrees with that. In practice, they say, yeah, but could I get it for free? Like, who, you know, so this, this the, the end part of this topic, and I don't have that many notes in this because it is kind of open-ended, is like, that's, it's weird that, you know, hardware, we're like, oh, it's a, that's a tangible device. Obviously, we have to pay for that. And that's why no one gets uh, upset about you know, Apple charging money for iPads. You could fund iPads entirely through advertising. And when you get an iPad, there's a fixed ad banner at the top. Of, but we've all decided that, that sucks and we hate it, basically. Like, you know, the, the net zero model or whatever. We, we'd rather charge money for it. But for other things, it, it's always the mystery. Like, this thing that you're current getting for, currently getting for free. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you go to pennyarcade.com, you read a comic. It's free. It's been free forever. You don't have to pay anything for it if you don't want. And it's just there. You read it, you know. And you love that, and you get entertainment out of it, and you're paying zero. Uh, if they said, we're going to charge you uh, $1 for each comic you read, would you still read Penny Arcade, or would you just stop reading? Because like, that's your choice. You know, it's, like, I'll, I'll, it wasn't, it's not worth $1 each comic strip for me uh, because I was getting it for free or because, you know, whatever. Like, what is the drop-off? And that's, that's the question that has come up in context of 5 by 5 and other things. Like, the thing I've always thought about is, like, so we have X number of listeners to the show, right? How many of those listeners, percentage-wise, 
would pay $1 for an episode. You were talking about the podcasting app with Marco uh, yeah. on, on his show recently. Like, what percentage? And everyone agrees, like, it's not going to be 100%, right? But is it going to be 0.000001%? Like, do five people pay a dollar for it? Because you're outbid by the advertisers, right? Or is it going to be 10% or 50%? Like, what percentage of people are willing to pay for something they were getting for free? And, the, and what, what are they getting in exchange for it? Uh, you know, they don't have to listen to ads as if ads are such a big burden. Like, and that's, that's the, the experiment of the Penny Arcade Kickstarter. They well, and and, and, and let me, let me add something to that, John. And cause this is something I think about a whole lot is in people's minds, they're getting, we'll use the Penny Arcade as an example. They're getting that for free. Well, they're not, they're getting it with ads and those ads take up some part of your brain. They take up some part of your perception so it's not really for free. You know, I think that's important to mention. Like people think of it, well, it's for free. I read the site for free. Or maybe they Instapaper it and they see it without the ads or whatever. But there is a, still a cost there. There's a cost there between you and, 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 and the site anyway. It's just changing how you pay that cost. Do you pay that cost by having to see ads or by hearing a, an advertisement on a podcast? Or, or do you pay that by actually giving them money directly. Uh, there are people who would argue that they prefer having that direct relationship where they say, well, I'm reading this site, there are no ads, and that's because I gave them some money directly. And I think people feel incredibly, they feel violated in some way if they paid for something and then there still is an ad or an ad, an ad comes later. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it, it shouldn't, if you think about that logically, like, if you assume it costs a certain amount to produce content, yeah, like why is it suddenly so offensive to divvy that the, that cost up in two halves? Like part of it is paid for you by your users, and part of it is paid by advertisers. And it's like you said, people think once I pay you anything, regardless of what your actual costs are, once I once any money leaves my hands and goes into yours, I don't want to see an ad ever. And that's kind of a weird phenomenon because, like, what if we just showed you half as many ads? And you know, if we split the cost fifty fifty, wouldn't that you know? But people just don't like that. Like, people, this is the thing about talking about this with nerds. You're saying, well, you know, you're paying to see ads. Like, no, I use an ad blocker, or I have a script that scrapes the page and shows me that. Like, yes, yes, that's all true, all possible. But like, that's not what people do. People click on their bookmark for Penny Arcade or type Penny Arcade into the Google Short Box or whatever the heck they do, and they read it. And nobody, for a reasonable approximation of nobody, is blocking ads when they read Penny Arcade. Yes, people are blocking ads. Geeks are blocking ads. More, a higher percentage of people are blocking ads at Penny Arcade than other sites because geeks read it. But, like, enough people aren't blocking it that they get the ad views that they can charge a lot of money for their ads, and that pays for their content. Uh, and the, the thing is, the, the great mystery, I think, of the business model of the Internet and all these people who are on the Internet who made their business on the Internet, Penny Arcade is of the Internet. They came from the Internet. They're not, like, old-school people or whatever. All of us here... Even those of us born on the internet are like, we still haven't quite figured it out. Like, we know how much advertisers will pay for access to our customers. How much will customers pay for access to our content? And can we reconcile those worlds given the fact that if we try to do both, people go crazy. And they oh, no, I paid you a dollar. I don't want to see an ad. It's like, well, yeah, but a dollar per comic doesn't pay for the production costs of these comics. I've got a business to run. This is not, you know. So, like, a question for you is, like, what, you know, getting back to your business, if you charge a dollar an episode for podcasts, what percentage of people you think would pay that? Like, of course, everyone in the chat room is like, I'd pay a dollar. But like, of all the people who, who download listen to this podcast, not even like, is it feasible and how much does it cost? Not even get into that. Just, just what do you think, like, percentage-wise, the number of people who listen to free podcasts on 5 by 5 and who are 5 by 5 fans would be willing to pay anything, like the smallest possible amount you can charge in an online store, $1, 
per episode of the podcast. I don't know what percentage that would be. I, I mean, I, I have to think it would be pretty low. I know for sure that there would be people who are the, you know, the diehard fans, the people who are in the chat room, the people, probably the people, the same people who already supported us by buying the app, you know, that kind of thing. The people who donate, we have lots and lots of listeners who donate, you know, just because they like, uh, they like the shows. And regardless of whether they're sponsors, they went to five by five, they clicked the donate link and they decided to spend a few bucks a month. I mean, th- those are the same people I think who would probably be willing to pay a dollar per show or a dollar per hour they listen or whatever number I would come up with. And I just, I just don't think that it would be anywhere near forget profits. Uh, I'm just talking about like operational costs. I don't think we'd be able to, to, to pay our operational costs. You know, uh, if, if we were trying to rely on that, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I get the same feeling, like, because you just think of it as a user. Like, I listen to a lot of podcasts for free, and I think, boy, if those guys all started charging the minimal price you could reasonably charge, like a dollar through any electronic thing, how many would I drop? And it's like pretty much all. Like, you just have to, you know, and, and again, or you might, to, or you might say, well, I listen to five podcasts, and now they're all going to charge. I'm going to pick my favorite one, and I'm just going to support that one. And then the other four, they lose. Yeah. Or if you listen to 20 podcasts and one of them charges and the other are free, it's pretty easy to know which one to drop, right? I have very seriously considered doing like a show that could be listener-sponsored, if you will. That's a listener-supported show that has no ads and is, is 100% listener-supported, thinking I could, I could do that. I could try it as an experiment and see, and if, if it doesn't work, then get it sponsored because I know I, I, you know, I know I can, could probably get it. The show I have in mind for that is sponsored. But because what I like about that is then you have this very direct relationship. And when you, when you do that, you know, these, the listeners, the people who like the show are supporting the show. And there's a very cool feeling. I mean, I would love that. I would love it if we could do what, what we're doing now, just completely sponsored, but really to do the, to do the kind of stuff that you want to do, I mean, it, it makes sense to have advertisers and, you know, I hope that the advertisers that we have appeal to the listeners and I try really, really hard to make them appealing uh, and, and to do ad reads that fit with the shows and don't feel like, you know, hype and marketing. And that's something I like if people, if you knew listeners, how much time I spend working with sponsors, it, it is a full-time job. I'm doing that. That probably takes 30 hours a week, 20, 30 hours a week, just dealing with sponsors, talking to them, planning things, uh, getting new sponsors. It's, it's way, way, way more time than I spend on the air for sure. And way more time than I, I get to spend even, you know, coordinating and preparing for the shows. It's, it's, it is a huge, huge thing. And to, to not have to do that would mean I could probably spend way more time doing shows and on shows, but I just don't think the the support is there for it in in, in the listeners and uh, you know it's it's it would be a huge huge change I don't I just don't even know how the business would work. Yeah, and the thing is, like this this but people listening to this are coming in with some a certain a bias the way they think should be or whatever. But like, there's really no value judgment in any of this. Like, if you're, it's just you know the customers choose what they're willing to pay for, and then as a business, you have to react. Like, you have to you either change the market somehow with your through your magical influence to make people feel differently about things, whether with the amazing quality of your content or some other thing or whatever, or you just have to accept what the the market will bear. So like, I don't 
have, feel any ill will towards someone who does not willing to pay to listen to a podcast. Uh, and the same way I think people shouldn't feel ill will towards me because I want to listen to their podcast for free and I wouldn't pay for it if it was there. Uh, the, the interesting thing that the Penny Arcade thing is doing, and I think this is actually important, again, not logically speaking important, but like because people aren't logical beings and they act in very different ways, is they're not asking you to pay a dollar each Penny Arcade comic strip. They're asking you, pretty much free form, give us enough money so we don't have to run ads. And yeah, there are prizes and things you can get for higher funding levels or whatever, but like they're not trying to connect the the service, the, the thing they provide with people paying money for it. They're just trying to say, advertisers pay us this much money for access to you. If we could get some percentage of that money, not all of it, but like, I don't know what percentage of their advertising revenue is, but it clearly seems like it less. Just give us enough money so we don't need to, that money from them anymore. And we'll give everybody, we'll give the whole world what we were doing, but without the ads. And we'll give you even more stuff because now we have so much more time to do other stuff. So it's not like... It's not paying per episode, per comic strip or whatever. It would be kind of like you saying, uh, we'd like to fend, fund a year of Hypercritical. If we sold ads, we'd make this much money on it. Uh, we'll cut that in half and say, listeners, if you give us that much money, you will get an entire year of Hypercritical without ads. Now, part of, part of the thing, uh, as people said in the chat room, is that if you're using an ad model, you can do ad models badly or ad models well. And I think part of the reason people like 5 by 5 shows is you're not doing you know ads for porn sites in the middle of them, right? <laughs> like, it's not just random... like. It, that's that's kind of like you could say almost like it's the curse of like why is no one willing to pay for for five by five you know so we feel so few it's because because the ads aren't like oh god i can't listen to five by five those damn ads like some people actually like the ads and, and the things they're they're relevant to people and like doing a good job with ads actually makes it harder to get money from those same people so like what am i getting for paying for this i get it for free now and the ads don't bother me and in fact sometimes they're cool so like why would i ever pay for that like you're you're kind of you know sabotaging yourself by doing by doing ads well uh and partially that's true of penny arcade too although what penny arcade people have said is that the ad the sponsors like they're good about ads too they don't want something like swoops down from the page and covers the whole page with like a character from a video game and they chop the words in half and like penny arcade holds the line on those but they said it's getting harder and harder to fend off the advertisers who are like we want to take over your whole site we want to have a video automatically play when people go we want our theme song to play in the background as soon as your homepage is loaded like these are the kind of demands advertisers have and penny has got to go no 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 and, and like they're sick of fending them off like there's an incredible tension there i don't think that's the case with your advertisers but they're like we want our ad to be 50 percent of the show no one is coming to you with that and no. you would never do it anyway like no. so you're not fighting with advertisers all the time penny arcade seems like they are so yeah that's a, a position, really good you know? distinction to make i think you're right i think i think web advertising we're in it we're in such a great time because web advertising has become with a few exceptions it has become such a terrible terrible place to live it really is it really is bad it's a incredibly competitive and the campaigns and things that they run are are getting rougher and rougher i know because i've i've worked in that business and it's really it's really tough it's really tough for the sites and it's it's incredibly like it just, it's really bad. And with podcasting, I feel like the companies that are investing in podcasting and that are serious about it, they really get it. They really get that like this is independent content in some ways at its best. And it it has all the great stuff that you had with uh, with radio, what we think of as like talk radio, but all of the cool things that new media brings in. And it's it's a really cool place where, you know, if you're really careful and you, you can say no and you can spend the time that it takes, you, you can 
find the right kind of sponsors for the right kind of shows. I mean, it took me three years to get here. I mean, people think, oh, Dan just has, I mean, this is more than three years of work uh, to get the kind of sponsors that we have that we're lucky enough to have and the listeners that we have. So it's, it's been a great effort to get here. And, you know, I, I look at what Penny Arcade is doing and I think this, this could be, if it works, it could be the start of something new yeah, but it, they're it, they're in a position to do it. Who yeah. else is in this kind of position? Right. Like they, they took they took you know a decade or more to get to where they are. Exactly. And people need to remember that these guys have been around forever, and and this isn't the first time that they've changed <laughs> and, their model. Yeah, and they've almost gone out of business many times, <laughs> and they like they were so close to failing, like and they didn't. They are an amazing success story, but it's not. You know, and they're they're the ones who can do this. And if it fails, then it's good that they did an experiment for everybody else and said, look, Penny Arcade couldn't even pull this off. Your odds of doing it are probably low. Not that we think you can't do it, but just like take this out of data as a data point. But if they succeed, then it'll be like I'm using the Penny Arcade model for funding my whatever, right? Because and simply by succeeding by getting that out there, the idea that this kind of thing is possible, which Kickstarter has gone a long way to. Kickstarter yeah. has put the idea in the air that it's possible to do something cool by asking people for money to do it. Like that was all very well and good conceptually, but the the you know Kickstarter has made it happen enough that there's critical mass here. Now that idea is in like nerds' heads because nerds know what Kickstarter is, and like I don't know if it's in other people's heads. I should ask my parents. Like, do you know what Kickstarter is? Like, have they, is it on the evening news yet? Has it been on you know Good Morning America? Like, I think eventually <laughs> that's, that's when it becomes. You know, it's funny. My mom will come to me. So, have you heard about this thing? And yeah. it'll be you know something that to us as as geeks is like, yeah, I kind of use that every day. Whatever it is. Uh, but like that's when you know that like if your mom knows about it, then the whole world pretty yeah. much knows about and, it. <laughs> and you would hope what they know is not like that some crazy internet fad thing. Like this gets back to an incomparable talking about Jonathan Colton, where they're like, you know, oh here he is the uh, that one guy who got lucky and made it rich on the internet playing music. Like <laughs> right. instead of saying he has proven that it's possible to make money making music without going through a traditional record label, selling your own music, owning your own debt, you know, like. Instead of taking that lesson, it's like, he's this crazy fluke, and let's have him on. So you wouldn't want someone to be Kickstarter. This thing where if you're really lucky, this crazy thing, but anyway, like, next week we'll forget about it. Like, what we want, like, geeks get the idea that, like, no, this is the future. We've proven it can work. If you want to do something cool, we can make it happen. And that works great for geek projects. But I don't think, like, when this spreads to the mainstream, you don't want the story on the news to be about Kickstarter. This amazing new fad of way to get things funded. But, like, never mind, because it's not, like, we want the message to get out the same way it got out about, like, you know, Amazon.com proved you can sell stuff over the Internet. Like, and it's not like, this is just a fluke and people will stop buying stuff over the Internet. No, like, we're in a post-Amazon.com world, you know. Cosmo web van, like people tried lots of stuff, but like we've learned you can buy stuff over the internet. And no one is saying, like, what you're gonna you're gonna have a store but only sell things over the internet? You'll never make money doing that. Like, you know, I hope Kickstarter has the same effect on the world where even if Kickstarter itself fizzles and dies, where the idea is out there that we now through the communication means that we have on the internet, it's where you're able to find the eighty thousand other people on the entire planet of six billion people who are willing to give you one dollar each for you to, you know, build your little a wooden headphones hanger to use a Marco example that attaches under the desk. That's what you want to do. Previously, there'd be no way in hell you could ever find enough people to pay you to do that. But now, even though a tiny fraction of the earth's population is interested in that, you can find them. They will give you the money. You'll make it happen. And that's what I hope is the outcome of this, both that, uh, that the Kickstarter itself becomes a phenomenon that, that becomes like a real thing that people understand that, you know, a new way of, of uh, funding businesses and funding projects and doing things. And also that Penny Arcade is able to do what it wants because I want more Penny Arcade content. Uh, and that everyone else says, hey, uh, yeah, granted, Penny Arcade was super duper popular and maybe that doesn't apply to us, but they did it. So it shows that it's even it's, it's possible. It's possible to 
do what you want to do and to have people to get your funding in a way that gives you the most ability to continue doing what you want to do. Because I don't want to say like, oh, it's possible to do what you want to do without advertisers as if the, as if the goal is like get rid of advertisers. It's that, I mean, it's a practical concern. Like if, you know, if you don't, if you don't have time to do cool things because you're too busy dealing with advertisers, that shows that advertisers are dragging down your, your, uh, your content in some way. Uh, and, and, and doesn't mean, you know, one way to change that would be, well, let's just get 800 times more listeners and then I can hire staff to handle advertising and therefore advertising doesn't like that would be an example in your case. Isn't it? Oh, you have to be able to get rid of advertisers. No. What if you're just fantastically successful and have a staff of 50 people doing your ads? You'd be happy with that, right? Sure. Like it's not, it's not, it's not like you're like, I got to get rid of advertisers. It's just that like right now with, with, with the, the you know, the, with the level of success you've achieved, it's still like the tension between the work that has to be done for advertising uh, and the work you have to do to produce the creative content. Right. And so you're just looking for some way to be able to do uh, more of what you, uh, you know, more of the end product and less of the other stuff. And one way to do that would be take the money that you're getting from advertisers and get it from people. But if that's not feasible, another way to do it is just grow your audience and grow your business. And that will happen uh, naturally. So I, I, I wish the Panera guys luck and I hope they're successful. And I will say that I have not funded their Kickstarter. Because I like getting the comics for free, right? Like, this is the part of the experiment. It's like, isn't that hypocritical? You want to succeed, but you won't pay the money to succeed? That's right. I hope there's enough people in the world who are so bothered by advertising that they want to pay for more content. I'm just not one of those people. But I really hope there's enough of those people out there to make it happen. Because certainly, I would enjoy the benefits of it. It's just in the, everyone else has to make that cost-benefit analysis. Do you want Penny Arcade for free? Uh, or do you not mind the ads? I personally don't mind the ads. Someone in the chat room is saying that uh, they don't think Penny Arcade is holding off the advertisers that well because they have annoying animated ads. I don't block ads on their site. I go to their site three days a week. I read the comic. I guess the ads are there. They don't bother me. I don't see them. Like the current trade-off for me is uh, no, no funding for Penny Arcade. And I, I and, and and part of it's like how much how much disposable income do you have to spend on Kickstarters? This is part of the Kickstarter phenomenon too. Like there's lots of cool things in Kickstarter that I would like to fund, but I don't have money coming out of my ears. Right? I can't just be like. $50 here, $50 there. Pretty soon that adds up to some real money. Uh, that is a poor version of the joke about the, the Pentagon. But that is scaled down for Syracuse budgets. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making money. Whereas <laughs> other people who have more money who, or who have no families or don't have other things to spend or just, you know, just, just have more disposable income. If I had more disposable income, I guarantee you I would be funding a lot more Kickstarters, including the Penny Arcade one. But everyone has to make that judgment based on their means and their desires and everything like that. But uh, I really do hope that they succeed. Just not with your help. Yeah, I mean, maybe who knows? Like, if they get closer to their funding goal right now, what are they? At? Why not they kick look- them a buck, man? I mean, you could fund a buck, right? Well, that's symbolic. Like, so I've well, done, it, I, it's I, symbolic. I've done more but to what if with this podcast than that one dollar would be? <laughs> what if five hundred thousand people gave them two bucks? Yeah. So they're at two thirty-five thousand right now, and I thought they would be way higher, which makes me think that this thing is not going to go anywhere. I don't want to be pessimistic about it, but I would. I thought if Penny Arcade makes Kickstarter, it would be a one million on the first day. Well, and and, and case in point. Is this this console? How how long did it take it to get to four and a half million? It took it right. what, two days, three days, four days, yeah, whatever that's it was. What I'm saying like million yeah, bucks a day they're doing, and it's not because people don't love Penny Arcade. It's just that like it's that it's that uh, you know cost benefit analysis it's that every person has to make. How much do you want this, and and do you think it's something that you want to fund? And despite Penny Arcade being wildly popular, they're at two thirty five. They're going to reach their goal guaranteed. They're going to exceed their goal guaranteed, but. It's not the runaway success that I thought it would be. And so that means that there's a lot of people out there who are making the same judgments that I have. Like, the ads don't really bother me in Penny Arcade. And yeah, I would like more creative output, but not so much that, like, from, from my thing, 
I think I would actually be more willing to pay a dollar per strip than to fund their Kickstarter. Does that that doesn't make any sense, doesn't it? Like, but because that's way more money. Like, why? You know, I don't know how many strips that is a year because I can't do the math in my head. But like, that would cost. Seems like it would cost me more. But I would be happier with that arrangement, especially since it would be ongoing. Since this is a one year thing. Like, if this if this works for one year, presumably they'll do it again the next year, and then maybe they don't need Kickstarter anymore. Maybe they can just put a button on their site, and everyone you know understands that if. You know, you got to fund the next year at Arcade, otherwise you're going to see ads. Like, there's many ways that this could succeed, and I'm not ruling out contributing to it. The Kickstarter ends in 33 days, so there's still time for me to contribute. But right now, I haven't, and I just wanted to mention that because I think it's it's uh, it's representative of the challenges they face in this particular Kickstarter. Unlike the Ouya thing, which we just went through, is like untested and pie in the sky, and like it's very attractive and it looks awesome. But their chances of like, if you fund Penny Arcade. They will do this. They're 100% guaranteed success. They can remove an ad from a page, right? Yeah. It's not like we're like, oh, can they remove ads? I don't know if they can do that. And even the new content, like we all trust that they can make awesome new content. Everything, you know, if you're a fan, you like the stuff they do, they're not going to produce crap. If you fund them, if they get funded to the $1.4 million level, they will make awesome new content and you will like it. So that's not a risk. The risk is like, how do I feel about this? Because, you know, I guess it, it comes down to the new content. Is the new content worth it? the content you're not going to get at all with ads or without ads? Like you're not going to get that lookout strip, uh, the lookout comic book if you don't do this. Is that worth it to you? How much is that worth? How much do you want to pay? Maybe I should think about it in that way because I, I buy all the Penny Arcade books. I go to the Penny Arcade conventions. I, you know, like I, I give them a lot of money in, in other ways. It's not like they're not getting any money from me. The question is, how much do I want those things versus just the strip that I read every day or every, three times a week? I hear you clicking. Yeah, you should do a whole show. Well, I, I guess you the, so you have are doing a massively distributed podcast about the five by five business model, yeah. unbeknownst to you. Yeah, on every show, topics like this come up, and mm-hmm. you know, it, like Marco talks about the app store business model, and you on all the various shows when topics like this come up, talk about your business, and we're all all the hosts in the show are also part of this business, so it does come up. But yeah, once once you have your own show again, you should talk more about this because it's the topic you could go back and forth with listeners about and talk about and, and ruminate on. And I think it's interesting in its own right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes people don't care about this kind of thing. Maybe they do. Maybe the same people that would donate care about this kind of thing. <laughs> and the, ones, yeah. the rest of them are like, oh, God, I just want to hear John talk. Yeah. But the, the larger topic though, of like Kickstarter itself and this penny arcade model, I think is of general interest because this could be, it could a, be. The, the start be. of the start of a new way of uh, start of a possibility of a new way of doing things. Like, yeah. what are your options for doing something? Now, this is a new option. Like, I think it already is an option. It's just like, for what types of things, and is it just a flash in the pan? And will people get bored with it and not be that into going to Kickstarter pages in three years? You know, you know, my fellow Austinite and uh, new friend Adam Curry. You know, all of his stuff is listener sponsored, and he did that listener supported rather. And the the reason that he did that, I was talking to him about it the other day. He 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 had a very simple answer, and his answer was because I want to be able to say whatever I can about any product or service or government or whatever. And he wants absolute and total freedom there to say pretty much anything, and it it can be clear that there are no influences that it's all listener supported. Um, and you know I love that. I love that reasoning. I love that reason. And you know d- does that mean I I am going to refuse to say something negative about a company that once sponsored us? No, of course not. But if I have a current sponsor, now if I got a, if I had a sponsor who suddenly did something that was horrific and horrible, I I would not work with them anymore. I mean, and I would probably be public about that if I had to, 
you know, if it, if it, if we had to stand up and rally against an evil force, I would do that. Right. Fortunately, this kind of sponsors that we get, like they're cool and they're not, they're, they're the ones on, that seem to be on the right side of whatever's going on. So I like that. And that, that has to do with carefully picking sponsors and working really closely with sponsors. Yeah, the Penny Arcade guys said the same thing. Yeah. They said, like, they don't hold themselves back, but what they said was basically running an ad for a game and then, you know, I'm paraphrasing, and then crapping all over that game in, the, in like, the blog post associated with the comic or crapping all over that game in a comic right yeah. after you run the ad for them. Like, they said, not like, they do that plenty, right? And advertisers hate it, like, as you can imagine. I can right? imagine, they, yeah. They don't stop themselves from doing it, but they said what they said was basically, that feels bad. That feels crappy. Like, they're not going to hold themselves back, but doing that, like, if they feel bad, and, you know, you can understand they're feeling bad. They don't want to feel bad. Right. So, is, is this the Adam Curry, the podfather who you're talking about? The, the podfather, yeah. He's here yeah. in Austin now. I did not know that. He oh. is in it's Austin. It's good that you guys are connecting. Oh, we went to lunch. All right. So, I've got one final thing that is, that is the final. It's, it's not a topic. It's just one, one tiny thing here uh, that promised on the last show, and then we can wrap this. Uh, last show, I mentioned that there was something I was thinking of doing on Hypercritical that's kind of off format, and I wanted to get feedback from people about whether this is something uh, they would actually like or not like. Uh, and I didn't want it to be like, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of doing this, but if you don't want me to, send me an email, because then just the negative people reply, or vice versa. I wanted it to be like a survey or a poll, uh, and I didn't want to have to wade through millions of emails. So do not email me about this topic. Instead, go to this URL that's in the show notes. Uh, well, I should have made a... Can we make a short? Do you have a shortener that can shorten that and redirect to the uh, the site? I want to be able to read the URL on the air so people don't have to go to the show notes. Well, I guess we can just do the show notes URL. Is it 5x5.tv? 5x5.tv hypercritical slash 76, which is this episode. So that's that's all you got to do. It's the easiest way to do it. All right. Yeah. I, don't have, a, I don't have a shortener that's okay. public that I use anymore. And at the bottom of, of the show notes, the final link, what is it called? Uh, the final link. Yes. It's uh, it will be the final one after I resort. It says poll colon journey on hypocritical hypercritical. So here is the poll question. I will just read it from the poll. All right. Would you like an episode of hypercritical where John recounts his experience playing the PlayStation three game journey? Uh, it would not be a critique. John loves the game. It would also not be a narrative. John would point out the parts of the game and mechanics that made it so special, perhaps comparing it to other lesser games. The episode would be full of spoilers for the game. So I'm basically just going to recount the story of like, here's what happened when I played the game, stopping along the way to describe things. But it's not critical. It's not hyper anything. Like, it would be the opposite of hypercritical. Maybe I would criticize other games by way of showing how nice this game is, but it is definitely off format. So it's not something that I wanted to do unless people are on board for it. Uh, So if you do not want me to do this, or if you do want me to do this, go to the link at the end of the show notes and place your votes. The choices are yes and no, and there's an additional comment block if you want to put it. But it's very simple. I pasted a link into the chat room. People can go crazy on that. And also look at the volume. If 20 people respond and 10 say yes and 10 say no, that means only 20 people are even interested enough to do the survey. So uh, I don't guarantee that I will conform with the wishes of the winning votes. This is not a democracy. This is just an experiment to see. And in other words, you're wasting people's time. I am not wasting people's time because people, if people are, if thousands of people respond and they all say yes, guaranteed I'm going to do this show. If thousands of people respond and they all say no, pretty certain I won't do it. I'm not going to say guarantee, but it's pretty certain I won't do it. Uh, And if it's somewhere in the middle, I'll just have to decide. I'm still up in the air about it. Maybe it would even be like a special or something like the Goodfellas thing. I don't know. But I feel like it's something that I should talk about in a hypercritical because People do like it when we talk about games, which is a pretty broad topic. And this is like something that I feel strongly about in the gaming world, even though it's not a case where I'm going to criticize something. 
Now, so I, they, I also want to just throw this out there, John, and that after your uh, mountain lion review is done and you have recuperated, I would like to propose we do another at the movies episode. Yeah, it's always find, hard to find time for us to do that. I know. Yeah. But we'll Maybe do it. We'll, we'll make keep it up the three hours. What, your godfather you're thinking? Thanks for ruining it. I can't um, believe you just not, did that. So I'm ruining it. I can't we believe talked you just about did it. That. We've no, talked forget about it. it I don't want to do it anymore. Forget it. Never mind. We've talked about it before. Never mind. We could do a different movie. If I'll you edit want. all this out. Doesn't all right. It's too late. The, the word is out there. The chat room could say, is this, is this a surprise? I don't think it is. If I, I ruined it, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. That's it. cool. That's <laughs> cool. No, you, it's, it's all good. It's, it's kind of the way you keep hinting at what you're going to do with Merlin, which I'm not going to mention for fear of ruining something else, but you basically say it on the air. Over what, the morning show? No, not that. We're gonna hear you. We're gonna do a thing. We're gonna do a thing. Like, I, does everyone knows what the thing is? I don't know what it is. You don't. I, you whispered it on the air to each other like fifty times. Anyway, I'm sorry if I ruined things. But that, we concentrate the journey thing. The poll. Go to the poll. Vote. Make your voice heard. So it is the final link. That, of course, the show notes aren't live for those who are listening live now, but they will be in you know thirty minutes from now once we get the show up. And you go there. Five by five TV slash hypercritical slash seventy six. Final link. Take the poll. I would like to hear it. I'm going to vote yes. Yeah, I, I already voted yes. <laughs> so you want to do it. You want to do it. I, obviously, I want to do it. So I wouldn't put up the poll. So, right. just, yeah. so you make your votes. And uh, <laughs> I, and I don't even put a timeline on this. Does it mean like uh, next week I'm going to look at the votes? No, I might just leave that thing up there for months and sure. see just how it accumulates. Right. It's, and don't cheat. Like I know we're all nerds and we can just totally rig the survey. If you cheat and rig the survey and massively yes or massively no, I'll know and you'll just ruin it for everybody and it'll be crappy. So don't be a bad person. It's like when one person in the class cheats, everybody fails the quiz. Everybody fails. Uh, it would just mean that, like, I will learn that I can't, you know, you'd be ruining it for everybody. <laughs> so I hope none of my listeners would do that, even no. though I know all of you are smart enough to to rig a survey because okay. it's not rocket science. All right. So you can follow John on Twitter, uh, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Dan Benjamin. And, uh, and that's it. That's it. That's a show. That's what we're going to do for the show. Notice I did not say this one would be short. No, you did not. And that's good because it was only it was four hours long. No, I'm still under my longest show length. But Are you still? Yep. What do we have to break? Do you know what that is offhand? It's like 2.15, I think. Oh, man. <laughs> we got a little longer then. All right. No, we're not going to drag it out. You no. know, we got to stop. Okay. Have a great time. Uh, no, no after dark, by the way, for this yep. time. We're just yep. going to cut it right off here. That's fine. All right, John. Have a great week. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>